Welcome back to Travoltine Presents Easy Riders. Hosted by Jeff Sweeney and Stuart Elmore. Covering Heathers. With special guest, Rebecca Sweeney. Here's the thing about podcasts. Is that they're a manipulation of the corporate ladder structure. Society, man. It's all part of the society that's trying to keep you down. Listen and constantly having thoughts pumped in your ears. Right from the teat of the presidency all the way down to you. It's all part of the system, man. Get a load of this society. Greetings and salutations. Greetings and salutations. <laughs> what if you did this voice? The what if I did the bad. whole episode? No, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> He does kind of have uh, like a Heath Ledger Joker voice. A little bit before the Heath Ledger Joker voice became the Heath yeah. Ledger Joker voice. Yeah. It's very like slimy. The thing that sucks is that is just how Christian Slater sounds. Because he's not doing a bit. <laughs> he just kind of talks. Like, even if you watch him in other movies, like, hey, I'm here. Broken Arrows, the movie we're talking about. <laughs> oh, is that the last time you guys covered a. Uh, is that? That was our Christian Slater, Slater yeah. thing? That was our yeah, last Christian There was no Frasier Slater crossover? No. no. Free Slate. Free Slate. <laughs> he was. <laughs> Clean I, Slate. I think a lot about him <laughs> in Slate. Interview of the, with the Vampire, where he's the one interviewing the Vampire. Oh, yeah. And it's like, it's like, all right, bro, how do you feel about your time as oh, a vampire? In and then Brad Pitt is just like, all right, well, I was a vampire about 50 years ago. Me and Tom Cruise, we were in New Orleans. <laughs> I do not think that's his voice in that movie is that how Brad Pitt talks I can't remember yeah. how he talks in that movie uh, yeah and you said the title wrong too so I, didn't, I wouldn't it? expect you to know how Brad Pitt was it interview with the vampire a vampire with, yeah. a, with, a, a, with an a a vampire because yeah. there are plenty there are plenty of vampires we cannot singularize the vampires a vampire because there's the vampire yeah, yeah you should be... maybe search the google next Nosferatu <laughs> drop the the it's cleaner have you seen Dracula untold I have a soft spot for that movie. I think it's it's the epilogue scene. Hold for up, me. we're not talking about Heather's. <laughs> we're not talking about Heather's. We're talking about my two day stint with Luke Evans. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to talk about my two day stint with who's the actor Charles that also Dance. plays Tywin? Oh, Charles yeah, Dance. Charles Dance. Oh my god, fucking love. Remember Charles Dance. Charles Dance was in God. I'm not going to get into it. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot get into talking about Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Now I'm not one sure. Minute into our oh, episode. we were talking about vampires. I'm like, wait, why did Dracula until come up? Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> that door just swung open and it just kind of like freaked me out for a minute. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, Chris Dance. Yeah. Oh, my Lord. Uh, yeah, we're here to talk about Heathers. Yes. <laughs> Heathers. Heathers. Possibly my favorite movie from 88 and it's just sliding in after stop making sense which i think was mm. 87 yes yes because i had this thought through the whole time i'm like i think this might be my favorite movie from this year but if stop making sense was the same year then it's a very crucial yeah th this movie has the weird thing where it was released to festivals in 88 and then came out in 89 oh, oh. so it's a technical you can technically place it whichever year you like legally it released in 1989 even though it's listed as a 1988 movie. Hmm. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> Some big truck. Mm -hmm. I gotta get my big truck. Big lifted truck. You know what's in interesting, Jeff? Yes. Is uh, two episodes ago, we just covered Beetlejuice. Yes. And we talked about how that became a musical. Yes. 
this also became yes. a musical ah. too. If, if you discard 1969, um, which, yeah. which, by the way, thank you for listening last week to our episode of 1969. We hope you enjoyed it. Origins of uh, RDJ and Kiefer Sutherland. Yeah. No uh, way. Hope you enjoyed that episode. Um, I don't listen. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently. Neither do I. But um, <laughs> Actually, I do. <laughs> Very it, sad. It, com- taking this movie and Beetlejuice into comparison, it is funny how many similarities they do possess. Yeah. They're both kind of um, outsider movies. Yeah. In both of them, Winona writes a suicide note. Yeah. Oh. Um, Otho is in both of them, which was quite a surprise to yep. me watching Heathers. Yep. Glenn Shaddix. Um, and then the writer of this movie, Daniel Waters, goes on to work with um, Tim Burton after this. So there's a lot of weird crossover between this and Beetlejuice specifically. Yeah. Winona is just bringing them all together. Yeah, she, she brings the house together. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so, because what's interesting, though, is like this movie came out in festivals in 88, officially released in 89, meaning it would be filmed right around a similar time frame as Beetlejuice yes. was. My contention would be then is that this isn't, a reaction of Beetlejuice. Well, this was filmed in early 1988. Um, Which, and Beetlejuice came out in April of 88. Yeah, so this actually starts filming oh. exactly when Beetlejuice comes out. This, so, this, to, again, to the point, it's not a reaction of Beetlejuice. Yeah, it's just yeah. a continuation of it. Yeah. Which is an interesting little thing that you have mm. these, I mean, we talked about these sort of instances happening uh, a lot of times where it's like, you feel like, oh, of course her next movie would be Heather's. It makes mm. sense with Beetlejuice. It's like, well, actually... <laughs> was already slated to do this movie. Like I think her characters couldn't be more different between mm-hmm. Heather's and Beetlejuice, though. You know, it's it's both are dark comedies, yeah. so I think that's where the alignment is. But yeah. Winona is playing very different. Yes, I, I, and I and I think of that to her credit too. Totally, I because yeah. we were just like as we said, and even not just Beetlejuice, but also in 1969. So I think we said this in 1969 too. Is you can definitely see Winona building her confidence as an act as an actor. And uh, and I feel like she is she has that going for her in this movie as well, where she feels very confident about the role she's playing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a testament that she maintains that confidence, but with the versatility to like yeah play yeah. someone different. And I mean, how old would she be at this time? She was sixteen when she made this. What? what? And so when she she's sixteen when she makes this, and generally, and the story is that. She had done uh, the run of Lucas, Square Dance, Beetlejuice, 1969. Yeah. And then she's very interested. She really wants to be taken seriously as an actress. Yeah. Like, she doesn't want to keep doing, um, you know, teen love interest, teen movies, John Hughes-style movies. Yeah. She's very opposed to getting kind of pigeonholed into that. Yeah. And Beetlejuice, while it's a role that she really liked and was her star-making turn, it's still kind of she's playing the kid in that movie. Yeah. yeah. She wants. To- I mean, she is a kid. Yeah, um, but she wants to do something more dramatically rich. Sure. Um, so she gets the script. It just you know actors get a lot of scripts just sent to them, mm-hmm. um, and they read through them and if they're interested, let their agent know. But she gets the script and she describes it as one of the best pieces of literature I had ever read. Heather obsessed with it. Yes, she was obsessed with the script. Um, it's, I'll sidebar about the script. For it's written by Daniel Waters, um, who is notorious. This is his first script. And the story is notoriously, he writes this script, um, it kind of pops off, but this movie gets a lot of criticism um, because of its subject matter mm-hmm. um, from like a, a more yeah. like conservative um, film sphere. And so, but it is, you know, a successful script. And so he gets a few different projects off of it, including The Adventures of Ford Fairlane and Hudson Hawk, 
which he just kind of like finishes up someone else's script. Mm-hmm. And then he, Tim Burton, who had worked with Winona on Beetlejuice, um, is obsessed with the Heather script as well. And one asks him to rewrite or to write this, his sequel to Batman, Batman mm-hmm. Returns. Yeah. So Daniel Waters writes Batman Returns. Batman Returns comes out. Parents protest the movie. The part of me thinks this this writer's on to something. <laughs> yeah. The parents hate Batman Returns because it's so dark. It's so sexual. Um, that movie's basically about three people who put on crazy leather costumes and fight each other because they're it frustrated. It is so horny. It is so crazy. Yeah. My The best part is when Christopher Walken leans into the penguin and goes, Unlimited Poon Pang. Only, what's the writer's name again? Daniel Waters. Yeah, only Daniel Waters can write a line like that. Or, fuck me gently with a chainsaw. Yeah. Um, but he, fuck me gently with a chainsaw. But he, after Batman Returns the protest, they're not really interested in working with him anymore. Um, Warner Brothers isn't. He got a, a Razzie Award for the Hudson Hawk screen, uh, screenplay. And then wow. he basically becomes persona non grata in Hollywood. No one wants to work with him. That's a shame. Um, because <laughs> of how like angry fans were yeah. <laughs> for these movies. Um, he like has done a few random movies that no one's ever heard of, like Happy Campers and Sex and Death 101. Happy Campers, I'm Sex aware. and Death 101. Happy Campers sounds familiar, but I could be thinking of a sleepaway camp. Yeah. yeah, Happy Campers. I don't think a single person has seen. Okay, so it's we not will be talking about Sex and Death One Hundred and One on this podcast. We will. Yeah, so this is not the last time we're talking about Daniel Waters. Okay, um, oh. but he ba- he never does anything of note again. Um, That's a shame. After Batman Returns, wow. Um, he does. He is scripted because Warner Bros. is very hot on Batman Returns before they release it. Mm-hmm. He is hired to write the script to a Catwoman spinoff, um, which. So the script sounds insane. He like it's about Catwoman after the events of Batman Returns, and she goes to essentially Las Vegas, but it's run by superheroes. <laughs> um, and she basically has to kind of kill and sleep her way through a city of like Supermans. Oh my! Kill God. and sleep her way through. Yes, like seduce right. and kill most of them. Oh. Okay. Um, seduce is different yeah. than sleep. Yeah, like more femme fatale. Yes vibes was it still it was still it would be still michelle pfeiffer oh, uh yeah. warner brothers oh, looks at the script and says we cannot make this movie why not <laughs> why not Why not? come on um and <laughs> that is the end of the daniel waters experiment uh they end up making a catwoman movie i think he gets some like special thanks credit maybe on catwoman the halle berry the halle berry movie they might use some elements of his script he but... might have been just like no thank you <laughs> You know, he would write the line, you know what happens to frogs when they're struck by lightning. <laughs> that is honestly kind of like his... Th- but the thing is, that I don't think that was written ironically. Mm. Daniel Waters has very... So much irony, and it comes down to how the lines are even performed. Mm. Like, um, oh man, like... Why can't I think... Oh, Heather. Wow, could I really not think of her name? And the name movie's name Heather. No, but the the like Heather number one, two, yeah, or the three. first, yeah, yeah. Where it's just like, uh, like a lot of the line deliveries are just like mm-hmm. very, uh, like almost poorly recited. Mm. But it's like kind of the joke. Yeah, the joke. I is don't how, know how to explain that. Um, um, 
what, what like how obvious the facade is to everything. And yeah, how fake all how fake the environment is in relation to these characters. And that's God the- damn, Heather, what's your damage? <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> like so, you can't really say that with an authentic kind of performance. Like it's ridiculous. You know, yeah. mm-hmm. it's interesting how like with this movie coming out, getting a lot of backlash and um, poor reception from that kind of audience when a few years earlier there was a movie exactly the exact same premise massacre at central high that was verbatim like the same it's a movie came out in 1976 directed by uh reen dalder renee or renee dalder uh who i don't think is known for much written and directed uh didn't, i've never heard of this it, it it has it didn't like get very good reviews and it didn't get very widely seen so it kind of flew under the radar but it was interesting that once heathers came out there were a lot of people who were like oh it's basically that one movie that came out in 76 that nobody saw massacre <laughs> central high but verbatim the exact same premise yeah wow. okay. yeah so have you seen this movie nope <laughs> oh you, you just know it's kind <laughs> nope, of part of the conversation just, yeah i mean if you read the synopsis of it it's like the exact same thing like somebody it's a it, it doesn't take the stance of somebody it's as if Christian Slater is the main character rather than Veronica, uh, mm. Winona Ryder. Oh. Is like transferred from school, kind of a recluse, gets bullied yeah. a lot, loses his shit, and decides to kill people. It was kind of an inversion of that yeah, idea. Yeah, a little bit of inversion. It's something of a satire on the JD character. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Um, so this the, the story of how this movie gets made is um, Daniel Waters is lurking in a video store at the time. He comes from the same kind of like background is like Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez where they were just movie fans who worked in a video store and decided I want to write a screenplay. Yeah. So he writes the screenplay and he's desperately trying to get to Stanley Kubrick. He's like I want Stanley Kubrick to make this movie. Um, this guy who works I at a do video not. Store. And so he's desperately trying to get to him. Stanley Kubrick has no interest in meeting with this guy. He cannot get a hold of him. What yeah. was Kubrick doing in, in 88? Um, he would have just come out with Full Metal Jacket. Uh, okay. Um, to the extent that the, act, the opening um cafeteria scene of this movie was written as an homage to the barracks sequence mm. in full metal jacket okay yeah oh, wow um yeah, it makes sense kubrick on the brain yeah. he had he had kubrick on the brain but he's trying to get kubrick's attention can't get it um and so he does come across this guy michael lemon who does direct this movie um michael lemon who this is also his first movie wow i don't quite know where he comes okay he um he worked at american zoetrope uh, which is francis Ford coppola's com- uh, company oh yeah uh, he started there answering phones and then, you know, slowly started working his way up the corporate ladder there while making short films. Um, and then eventually, you know, after having something of a resid- like a base, goes on to get his first screenplay. We've talked about him before. I was about to say, I just he saw directed it. Airheads. He directed Airheads. What a weird movie to be doing oh. right <laughs> yeah. soon after this one. He's one of those weird careers where he doesn't like this is his biggest movie. And he doesn't one. really do, aside from Airheads, he doesn't really do anything of note after does this. a lot of TV later. This movie's one of those happy accidents where all these stars just align to make this specific movie at this specific time. Yeah. And then for the most part, except for Winona, no one really goes off of this movie to further great success. It's like an accidental masterpiece. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, this movie is pouring out that vibe. It's an accidental yeah. ma- masterpiece. Um, but you, he gets the he and Michael Lemon agree to make the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, the start looking at you know uh, casting. Um, 
they're looking at the usual roster that we've talked about <laughs> with the previous tests. They'll get Jennifer Connelly, audition her. Mm-hmm. Um, but when Nona is very insistent that she wants to be in this movie, because mm-hmm. uh, she gets the script, she is obsessed with the script, um, really just puts herself into these auditions. Her parents are desperately trying to convince her not to make this movie. Yeah, it's a, it's. I would have a hard time with this Yeah, as a parent, I think. Her, her parents like, do not do this movie. Your career will end with this movie. You will never work again. This is like not a good project to attach yourself to. Which, Which they may have, in all intents and purposes, could have been right. Could yeah. have been very right. That's, but you know yeah, exactly. who convinces her to act, to like ignore her parents and do it? It is Robert Downey Jr. on the set of 1969. No way. Who tells the her... Rebel, of course. Who his uh, his quote is smoking a joint at the same time. Yeah. Ah, just do the movie. <laughs> his quote is Noni was offered nine thousand light comedy feel good hits and chose one where she kills all of her friends. Wait, I'm sorry. See, what was the first? He song? calls her Noni. Noni, come on. If you ever watch any Robert Downey Jr. interview, he uses nicknames for everybody, and it's always great because he says it with such confidence. Oh, he's always like Noni, and people call him Bob. Yeah. yeah, that's the yeah. funniest. People call him Bob, and it's really unsettling to hear someone go Bob Downey. <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to hear that's that. That's true. They do say that. Yeah. Um, but he really convinced her. He's like, No, this is the movie you want to do if you want to like be in this industry and not just be part of the machine. Yeah. And so with that, she really puts herself into the audition process for this movie. Mm-hmm. She is at first turned away by casting directors for not being pretty enough. Um, oh, and her what? her story is what they told me I wasn't pretty enough, so she went to the mall, bought makeup, put makeup on, came back and auditioned and got the role. God, the eighties suck from the casting directors. Wow, I mean, th- th- not that this was relevant mm. only in the eighties, but I feel like probably more yeah. so. You know, and it's like just crazy watching this movie, like that. That is what holds her up because it's like her talent in this movie is just so palpable and incredible. Yeah. yeah. And they were holding her up based on purely a looks factor for a 16-year-old. Have you guys seen that? I I want to say it was like Insider or whatever. There was an interview with her and David Harbour during Stranger Things time. And Winona was like, you know, talking about her past was just like, you know, I wasn't like a big deal in the 80s. And there were so many other people. And David Harbour looks at her like, uh, no. And she was just like, you know, I wasn't like hot off the market you know like mm. nobody was really looking at me and david harper's like his eyebrows are raised or like uh like he doesn't he's very <laughs> polite but you can see it on his face he's just like no you were a smoke show <laughs> he's like i had a bit of a crush yeah exactly yeah. or I, I wonder if he just straight up says i think he straight up says that mm. in the interview he's just I, like no give yourself some credit like don't let people tell you that you mm, know yeah and i don't I, know if it stems like her saying that now stems from her experience with heathers or inevitably mm. all throughout hollywood but it's just interesting because and you even said this when we were watching this. It's like, oh, everybody thinks Winona Ryder is kind of like the heartthrob of the 80s. And you're like, she did three movies in the 80s. Yeah. Right? She basically is in the yeah. 90s after this movie. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the because I'm reading the biography of Winona as we go up to this movie. Yeah. Um, and she talks a lot of, through interviews about how this and Beetlejuice kind of back-to-back years made her a celebrity who people know. And that was the biggest challenge for her. And I think really leads into what you were saying about her in the Stranger Things that like she had to deal with public criticism, not even necessarily uh, about her acting, but also just her looks. Yeah, she's so young. Yeah, and she said that was the hardest transition that this movie brought about. Yeah, just like now she's a public figure who people have opinions on. Yeah, yeah. I like, mean, like anybody. I mean, because it's hard to say. Like, I mean, I would say even in this realm, I mean, sixteen, you're still a child, and so I, in that category of being like a child actor, it's like growing up in this period and knowing her history and where she's going. I mean, it's amazing. She's doing what she's doing now. 
Um, I, I mean, obviously that's way, way ahead that we'll get to later, but I think for, for how much this movie probably changed the course of her life, I think it's a miracle seeing the opposite side of that, of where other child actors can end up. The fact that she's where she is now is like, I think that alone speaks to a testament. Yeah. My able- impression of child stars too in the 80s is that a lot of them die really young. Yeah. It's not a, that they just end up, you know, in very unfortunate circumstances as they get older, but some of them just like straight up are, well, even the woman who plays the first Heather, she died at 32. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, which is just young enough, you know, for it to be, and I don't know, she wasn't necessarily a child star mm. per se, but. It is, it is definitely like she really succeeds off of this by really sticking to her guns and the project she wants to be attached to. She ne- After 1969, she never really does something because it makes sense to do. She only does projects and roles that she is interested in. Yeah. Um, good quote from her that I have is she was saying, I was 16 when I made it, and I went through this whole thing where I wanted to be taken seriously. I was sick of being treated like a kid and then working with these people. Suddenly I was treated as an equal, and they wanted to hear my input on this movie. Um, that this is the first role where she really felt like she had a um, input in the project itself. She said she'd sometimes try and see how lazy she should get on this project because this also taught her a good work ethic. I said, Tim Burton aside, my other directors had all been father figures and all I'd have to do was what I wanted, bat my eyes and be really cute and I'd get away with it. Uh, And then she said, but with Michael Lemon and Daniel Waters, I couldn't do that. They knew what was up. If I started to get lazy, they'd whack me in the shape pretty quick. Um, But she also said the movie taught her a lot about what she wanted to do with her life, her career, which is never to do anything she wasn't 100% about. Mm -hmm. I said, I'd probably have the perfect career if I sat down and talked to people and made decisions. Could have a road mapped out for me and things could be simple. But who wants that? It would mean doing things that I'm not interested in. Mm -hmm. Like she could have had a consistent, obvious career, but would it have led to the success that she found by choosing projects that she wanted to do? Yeah. It's too bad that it has to be that rotor or nothing. It is disappointing. Yeah. Unique to a women's experience, I think, in Hollywood. mm -hmm. But then uh, obviously chosen few other actors as Mm -hmm. well as actresses, but... Because like, um, to if this movie had turned out like even just ten degrees different than it did, mm-hmm. it could have ended her career. Like, yeah. people could have said she's in the pro suicide movie. Yeah, um, pro school. Well, they clearly movie. didn't watch the movie. If that's <laughs> yeah. what they're saying. Well, okay. I mean, if I were a parent, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a, a boomer parent in the eighties, looking at my, you know, looking at this movie where all the parents suck mm-hmm. and are oblivious, like I too would probably be feel offended. Yeah. If I wasn't locked into what the movie was trying yeah. to do. Yeah. And I think like when we go forward from this, like we've said this earlier in the podcast, Jeff, but like, because uh, we can say what we will about like when we get to like sort of like, I guess like her flop period. Yeah. If we can even call it that. Just the we period. We can call it that. Yeah. Flop period. But there's no like one movie I can see in like her uh, filmography that's like like a notorious notorious flop that like because everything she does at least like from the title and like the poster it's like you can see like reading something finding an interesting note in there um not like battlefield earth or (laughs) hairbrained you know yeah there's not there's not quite one of those there's not quite one of those in her flop period it seems like yeah, she goes through a flop period, but she sticks by her motto of like, I'm going to try to pick things that I think are interesting and 
not just falling into the cliches. Yeah. I think it's because people still see her really as a talented actor, not just a name to slap onto a movie, mm-hmm. where I think John Travolta yeah. falls into a lot. And yeah. you know what? Brandon oh, Fraser yeah. a couple times, right? Travolta and Fraser, they do get into paycheck periods. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I'm not saying that Winona doesn't do a few of those, because she, she does. We'll talk about Homefront. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, um, but it's more few and far between. She does try and have some... Um, um, I'm trying to think of the word like choosiness as an actor, like yeah. some respect for herself as an icon yeah. and as a, you know, when she attaches herself to a movie becomes a Winona Ryder movie. Yeah. And she recognizes that and tries to keep that image, you know, clean and respectable. Absolutely. I, I, re- I honestly can see that as an uneducated person about Winona that I get that impression mm-hmm. from her just purely off of like yeah. surface level knowledge of, of Winona. Because there's some actors where you look at their career and you're like, they have no interest in what the image of themselves as an actor looks like. Absolutely. When you look at someone like Winona Ryder or um, for example, like a Tom Cruise or something like you can tell that they pick their projects to fit their image. Yeah. Like that interests them. Like they have a very specific idea of what they want the public to perceive them as. Yeah. For different reasons. Cause I yeah. could like, you know, Winona and given what the brief thing mm. you've talked about in her impression or like her experience getting into movies mm. that she wants to do. Yeah. Is that it was very difficult and that she kind of had to put her foot down and yeah. like really pave the way herself by saying, no, this is what I do. Yeah. That's her trying to portray her image certain yeah. in a certain way. Whereas Tom Cruise, I'm not a big fan either. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to, I'm going to be like weird yeah. for a second, but like, I think he does it because he wants to be the perpetual action star, yeah. regardless of being what sixty, sixty-two, two. You know the the Tom Cruise thing nowadays is every movie is about how he is the best at whatever he does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and there are layers to this movie. I enjoy most of them, but like that is the core of what it was. Yeah. When he was in the nineties, he was a very he was interested in working with big names. That was his goal: was to work with big directors. Yeah, um, he's kind of gotten away from that. He just works with the same guy now. Um, but this is not the the cruise control podcast. This I is, know. I'm just saying. Uh, yeah. it, you know. Yeah. I, I I see a tangible difference between the two. Absolutely. But more respectable in Winona's corner. I He's think. not yeah. taking those killers of the flower moon lawyer roles. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. What the hell? I think Brendan nowadays is actually in this period where he's picking. You know. He has a very specific idea of what he wants to be doing in a movie. Yeah. Well, and Hollywood met him that way because he's yeah. an Oscar-winning actor yeah. now. They're not going to give him chump change. Because Killers of the Flower Moon changes the paradigm for, like, he changes the tenor of that movie when he comes in. Yeah. He always just stands up and starts screaming. <laughs> we <laughs> talked about so it in right. the episode. Yeah. Um, and that's the way to, like, when you can be an actor who does that and you change, like, the whole sound of a movie with your presence, mm-hmm. that's where you want to be. And that's what Winona's trying to be. Yeah. Um, I do want to quickly sidebar. Yeah. Uh, because this had not come out when we covered our did our Killers of the Flower Moon episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but we didn't get a chance to talk about Martin Scorsese describe, when asked about Brendan Fraser in that movie, saying he had that girth. We did not get a chance to talk about that. <laughs> Um, not, on, wanted, not in Winona's world. Not in Winona's mean? world. No. No, you're going to um, have to amend the episode. I refuse. Oh, my God. I just... No, this is Winona's time. Furiously. This is Winona's no, <laughs> era. The exact quote... Oh, jeez. ...is that Scorsese was asked about um, Brendan Fraser in the movie. He said, um, he brought the whole scene down on Leo. It was perfect. He had that girth. He's big in the frame at the time. He's a wonderful actor. And I just like, he had that girth. 
<laughs> we didn't get to talk about it on air. It has to be recorded in this podcast. I'm sorry. So Winona. So Winona. <laughs> Fantastic in this movie. Yes, she gets the role um, as Veronica Sawyer. Um, and then they start looking for her co-star. Uh, the audition, Brad Pitt, and turn him down after the first interview. Wow, really? <laughs> um, Christian Slater goes in for a audition, feels like he bombed it, has a big tantrum that night uh, by his own recollection, oh. and then gets called the next day and said, you got the role. Hmm. Uh, so goes to show you never, everyone thinks their auditions are bad. That's interesting that it's like, that. that's such an interesting twist of a paradigm that it's like they got their star actress mm-hmm. now they gotta find the supporting male yeah that is such like a little bit of a flip it's always like they find the leading man now they gotta find the love interest that's, that's gonna be they cycle woman after woman after woman it's like okay there's our one and said it's different now. that's the spice of this movie in my yeah. opinion and why it was such a good decision to put winona in that position oh absolutely um after Slater gets the role, he does say that he based he watched a lot of Jack Nicholson to prepare for this role. Oh wow, that makes oh, so wow. much sense. He based the entire like the voice and persona off of Jack Nicholson. I could not tell. <laughs> you couldn't tell that I'm trying to do a Jack. Oh man. Hey Stuart, how are you? Can now you he's do, really can, doing can, Jack Nicholson. Can you do, I didn't uh, even think that. Christian Slater imposing uh pretending to be Jack Nicholson, pretending to talk to me. Hey, Stuart, how are you? That's pretty good. That's not too bad. I'm trying my best. Oh, a little nuanced. I can tell. A little nuanced, yeah. yeah. What if Jax moved out and Christian and JD moved in? <laughs> um, I would he bail. Ex- he exploded. This is He's my dead. apartment, too. I would bail. <laughs> oh, my Lord. Starts building bombs in the office. Uh, but the movie films in 1988 um, in California, even though it's set in Ohio. Mm-hmm. The classic Hollywood thing is saying, like, yeah, California looks like the rest of the country. It's never a room in, in Nightmare on Elm Street where they're like, yeah, we're here in um, like Illinois. No, Halloween's Illinois. They're like, yeah, we're here in Maryland. And they walk past a palm tree. <laughs> I guess I didn't. I, I clocked that it was based in Ohio. And I'm like, of course, this would be based in Ohio. And I mm. guess I'd never really clocked that it was. Well, I've never really visited Ohio either. Yeah, they always try. It feels like movies like this, uh, Breakfast Club, all those types of things. They try and set it in like middle America. Indiana is so... a pretty, usually a like a high contender for that kind of thing. Yeah, I watched yeah. Stranger Things and I was just like, it's a little weird having all these monsters just come out. I'm like, you usually don't see that. And then I realized it was set in Indiana and I was like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, this is just, oh, well, this right. is a, no, a normal occurrence. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I, I run into Wendigos and uh, Demogorgons in Indiana <laughs> all the time. They crawl out of the woodwork. Yeah, they just, <laughs> they're just there at a truck stop smoking a cigarette on the corner. You're like, Ugh. Full moon, Indiana, lock your doors. <laughs> they knew this one had to be on location. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Wow. So that, not shot in Ohio. Okay. Yeah. That's a, that's all I have in terms of a pretext. It does get shot and then released. And for our viewing pleasure, it's, uh, it comes out. And uh, Slater and Ryder dated during this movie. They dated for two weeks um, after the movie. It ended. Oh, after the movie. During the promotional period. Yes. Um, and Winona regrets it, not because like she had a bad experience with Christian Slater, but because it set off for the next 10 years. She said, I would always just get accused of dating my co-stars. Mm. And she's like, every tabloid would just be about me dating whoever I was acting opposite at the time. Um, she's like, there was a rumor about me and Alec Baldwin off of Beetlejuice. And she's like, I need to just put... Fuck? Um, oh, my God. I, and she's just like... Terrible. Which is the, the worst thing you can possibly ever have on your name is dated Alec Baldwin. <laughs> like, who wants she that? married Michael Keaton in the movie Come On. Yeah, clearly. Clearly. Um, uh, when her sucks. real dating life, which I'm sure we'll talk about, is like, you know, Johnny Depp for a while. Yeah. Um, 
which is another co-star, but she's like, the problem became that as a woman, I would just get dogged as whenever I'm in a movie, I'm dating the male in the movie. That is just how it was. She's fighting that so young Mm -hmm. too. That's the thing that hasn't really quite ended yet. It seems to be a perpetual thing that when it's like two actors in a love interest role together and they either end up dating or they don't end up dating, but people think they end up dating. Mm Mm-hmm. They were co-stars on Crybaby? No. Um, Johnny Depp and... Uh, Scissorhands? Edward Scissorhands. Oh, my God. Well, what the hell? A movie I can't wait to talk about. Was I forgot already. Oh, wow. Yeah. So this that one is after Heather's. Yeah. I would have thought... Be, I always think Edward Scissorhands is older than it That's is. 90? Nine, uh, yeah, I think it's 90, because he does it in between Batman and Batman Returns. Uh, yeah, and so that means she would have been... Because she's born in 1971. 71. So she's 19 in 1990? Yeah, she would have been 19. Because she's 16 during Heather's. Christian Slater's born in 1969, so he's 19 during this movie. Yeah, I think she would actually have been 17 when they shot this movie. Oh, really? She probably was saying, she either probably falsely recollected at the time, or it was when she read the script she was 16. But she would have been 17 shooting this. Gotcha, gotcha. But under 18, Yes. dating Christian Slater. How old was Christian Slater? Yeah, I thought, I he said, thought, he said 19. Um, Math, I said at 19, he might have been 20. Wow. And you were right, 19. He okay. would have been 19. Yeah. Not, not a huge age. Not terrible, not great. <laughs> <laughs> 200 Rokin. Not terrible, not great. <laughs> um, so we want to delve into the movie? I have, that's basically all I have in terms of context. Yeah, let's blow this sucker up. Let's go. Mm. All right. Um, I'm out so- the gate shooting. <laughs> Sorry, I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> so the movie starts with um, we get the song "K Sarah Sarah," yeah. um, which I don't think it was. It was not written for this movie. Uh, Feels very pointed for it to be not written for the movie. Yeah, it's called "Whatever Will Be Will Be." It was from an Alfred Hitchcock movie called "The Man Who Knew Too Much." Oh, okay. um, but it's, they use two versions of it in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. uh, kind of a more stereotypical 80s one in the opening credits and then yeah, yeah it's bookended yeah a more somber one at the end yeah 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 yeah, yeah. um but it, it's we're starting off with kind of this floaty almost dreamlike camera movement yeah. falling yeah. onto like a polo they're uh, playing croquet po- cro- croquet polos on horses yes that's right that's right. I, I remember that. Very different movie. I, very different I'm movie. I'm coincidentally reading a book right now that explained to me that Polo is just the one with horses. So it's a good <laughs> thing that I'm reading that book right now. Yeah. <laughs> it would have kind of made sense if it was Polo because like it just perpetuates that, oh, these are the rich, like yeah. popular kids. Yeah. And when and it'd be even funnier if Winona like can't really ride a horse, but she's still yeah. trying. Anyway. I really want to know if Croquet was kind of a joke because it's not a very like feminine game. like it, Or it's not like really... Croquet is just a weird sport. I yeah. think it's just like the like one of the sports you associate with rich people. Oh, sure. Like I trying... don't know if I do, so that maybe that's why mm. I'm. Well, it's not golf, but it's also not polo. So what is it? <laughs> like, like you're hitting bigger balls with bigger hammers. I associate... It's a yard game, you I, know. It's just... I associate croquet with like kind of a Victorian household, yeah, and the woman in the big puffy dress, totally. just walking around doing. Oh, is it? I, I like that because I feel like that is a little pointed. Yeah. I mean, it could be the 80s, you know, maybe I'll have to ask my mom mm. later, but like the frilly socks yeah. and the shoes and the tights, you know. This movie is very point. It's, you know, this movie is about a lot of things, um, which we'll delve into because some, what I kept thinking about watching this movie last night is that 
whenever we talk about movies, we talk about a movie being about something. Like we're like the Matrix is about being in like a computerized world. And it is about that, but it's about so many other things. Like movies are about ten to twenty different topics. And so that's what is so rich about this movie. This movie's about so many things. Yeah. yeah. It's about class dynamics. It's about assimilation. It's about, you know, um, generational Gender. differences. Genders. Genders. There's so many, you know, um, ideas, thoughts. Not all of them are complete thoughts. Some of them are just ideas that are thrown mm-hmm. out. All just kind of compounded into this very rich text of a movie mm-hmm. that I think is a lot of fun for us to delve into. I'm trying to think by because it's not cornhole because I know cornhole is a little bit more. Yeah, cornhole uh, is the great American sport. This is the great American sport. But have you guys played? I'm trying to find the name of this game, but it's long like, toss. Is that what it is? No, that well, is long just, toss that's is... just cornhole. It's <laughs> oh. a different state. No, no, no. no. It's uh, I'm I. What's the name of this game? Oh, okay. What's well, the name of it? Do you want to hear the Wisconsin name for it? What's the Wisconsin name for it? Uh. <laughs> but Re- you know what I'm talking about. Yes. Wrap the nut. Wrap the nut? Is that what they call it? The thing is, is my parents would call it like that. I, as a kid, as with a sponge of a brain, started calling it, you know, wrap the nut. Because I didn't know necessarily that it was not not very nice. The thing is, I googled wrap the nut game and there's nothing pops up. Nothing pops up. I just did the same thing too. But what is the name of the actual game? Yeah, uh... Is is that cornhole? That's the one with the boards and the bean bags. Yeah, but for, like, for for the folks listening, it's the like balls with strings connecting them. Two two golf balls on two a string, go- yeah. and you toss it to a three tiered, uh, almost like it's always just like piping. Yeah, yeah. It's really fun. I like it. I like it too. And it's like it seems like that seems like a very specific Midwest niche yard game. Yeah, and I think a lot of different game developers make it and call it different things. Yeah, just like cornhole. So- Know what it's called. Yeah. Ugh. But well, um, tell yeah. your friends it's called Wrap the Nut. Wrap the Nut. But I, I have just... a feeling now I think it's my family actually just says that. <laughs> but like the antithesis of this intro introductory scene of croquet is just like, you know, people playing like Wrap the Nut or yeah. whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I, I post this question when the movie is over and I regret not going back to it because I, you know, you have all the Heathers and they have color coordinated costumes with the croquet ball that they're mm. playing with. And yeah. Winona starts with her head in the ground. Mm-hmm. You know, which is funny, and I love this like dream sequence that's happening. That you enter the whole movie, and like this is so non-serious, and that's mm-hmm. like sets the tone, right? Yeah. But I wonder if the blue ball, because she's the blue Heather, more or less, like if, if that's in place somewhere in this scene, because I don't know. Interesting. I, I don't think it says much mm-hmm. of anything, but I was curious to see if it yeah. was in there. I didn't see one, but I, didn't either. I, I definitely was like, because I, I get the idea from this first scene that she's on the move to become a heather she's not quite at heather level yet yeah she's still just a veronica veronica's like second lieutenant and then you get to general <laughs> commandeer yeah. uh heather level uh but she's not at heather level yet but she's the getting, heather ecosystem the heather ecosystem yes and um I, i'm not gonna lie i watched the this movie and i watched the other movie we were going to cover today on this recording session wednesday night so my memory's a little bit dry and foggy on a lot of it but i'm trying to think of what I pulled up the opening scene. Uh, the blue ball is not in play. Not in play. So it's only introduced when Veronica it kind of starts assimilating into their their yeah, cause click. She, yeah, because she doesn't... The Jeff and I clocked the, the use of the color blue in the movie really early. Mm. Um, one, it's very obvious the cinematography is just about as subtle as the movie is. So very <laughs> not. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, she starts to really assimilate slowly but surely. Mm-hmm. So the blue becomes more prevalent, the blue ball comes in 
the first thing we get kind of established in this scene is the Heathers are playing croquet and uh, Winona playing Veronica Sawyer is just stuck in the ground and they're all trying to hit her head with the balls. Mm-hmm. And then we realize it's a dream sequence. Mm-hmm. It's not a real thing that's happening, but it's yeah. inside of her psyche. This is how she feels around these characters, that she's kind of just their their plaything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but she is so committed to like fitting into the clique at the time that she's willing to be the plaything. Mm-hmm. And it's so much... The movie, you know, it's interesting class dynamics is interesting to me because she is trying to, you know, she'd rather, you know, be, to quote an earlier movie, she'd rather be at the right hand of the devil than in his path from the mummy. (laughs) That she's trying to like, (laughs) she's willing to be their punching bag to have like a taste of the glamour. Yeah. And it's kind of just, you know how a lot of people feel about the rich. It's like they'd serve them just to have a little bit of what they have. Yeah. But at the same time, something I really picked up on is Veronica's house is the one with the croquet game. Yeah. It's, they have it, to come to her right. for that. Yeah, you're right. They're just like, they're just exploiting her for her goods. Right. And so it's just kind yeah. of this interesting. Well, so many people feed on Veronica too. J. Yeah. D does, you know, that's that, kind of the idea that like she, that, as much as she wants to like fit into something, she's the one who people need. Yeah. And it's really her who can choose like how she is being deployed mm-hmm. um, in mm. this world. She becomes self-aware. Yeah. By the end of the movie, she does become self-aware and make a, a conscious choice to do the right thing. Yeah. Um, which is different than the original ending of this movie, which we'll oh. talk about. Yes. Yeah. Oh. Like I said, accidental masterpiece, accidental masterpiece. This movie accidentally has a very good message. Um, but she comes to in her dream, um, after her dream, and we just kind of get introduced to the characters as they are. There's the three Heathers, last names Duke, McNamara, and Chandler. I don't know how the hell we're going to keep this straight through this episode. Well, the yellow Heather, the green Heather, and the red Heather. Yeah, yeah. Yellow, blue, red. Yeah. That's a good idea. I, well, I guess the green Heather turns into the red Heather at the end. Yeah, that would be the, the complicating right? factor. That is correct. That's yeah, because the yeah. yellow Heather, she's, yeah. She the yellow Heather yellow. doesn't really do much. It's the red one that dies first? Yes. Dies first. And then, oh yeah, okay. Yeah, green assimilates into the red after JD gives her the uh, the red mm-hmm. scrunchie. Yes. Ver- Veronica's main utility to the Heathers is that she has a mimic-like ability to copy anyone's handwriting. Yeah. Um, which they use in the scene to pass a love letter to um, an overweight girl in the yeah. classroom telling her that like a football player loves her. And this is what the they cafeteria. Call, they yeah. call her something. They call really... her Martha dump truck. Dump truck. Um, we have, as a society have reclaimed a dump truck as a, as a compliment nowadays. We've, this it just makes me really sad. This I'm like societal really sad. Growth. <laughs> Proud of myself. I kept that all. In. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Stuart's choking down laughter. I'm trying not to cry. <laughs> <laughs> <It's> like, Martha. <laughs> He's not holding it in. Anyway. He's not holding it in. Anyway. He's giving up. Um, Veronica <laughs> deeply regrets that she's now stuck with these heathers. That's disrespectful. Like a dump truck. You better, you better take her name out of your mouth. Look, the Martha dump truck storyline is sad in this movie, but there is <laughs> one. Can we call real... her Martha, please? <laughs> there is one really good joke they do later. Oh, God damn it. I'm begging you. Just call yeah. her Martha. <laughs> Martha only gets one line in this movie. Oh. Um, at the very end. Oh. oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Which is very, like, telling of what the movie's trying to say. Yeah. Um, 
So Veronica just comes across this guy JD in the classroom in the the cafeteria. She's trying to get him to sign to fill out a survey. Y- yeah. There's so many surveys in this movie. And, and it's a dumb yearbook survey or something. It's well, like it's, if you get $5 million, but you know the world's going to end in 24 hours, what would you do with it? Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's funny how it goes around the room and like all these kids are like, I'd give it to my dad for investments. Yeah. I'd give it to the homeless. It's like all these people who are trying to save face and look good um, with this question, even though like the world ends in 24 hours and there's nothing that you're going to be able to accomplish. Yeah. And Slater's basically the only one who answers honestly. He's like, that's such a stupid question. Yeah, he's like, that's a stupid question. If I had the money, I'd get on a boat with a bunch of drugs, have sex on the boat until the world ended. Yeah. And like, it's the honest, it's the only honest answer she gets. And she's kind of attracted by that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love at some point a girl was just like, I would just give it to all the homeless in the community and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it's like, they're all going to die today. <laughs> Winona just goes. You're beautiful and walks away. (laughs) And then that's when Heather goes, God damn, Heather, what's your damage? (laughs) Or God damn, Veronica, what's your damage? Or no, she's, is that the mega bitch line? Because I have to know. I think it might be the mega bitch line. Uh, No, because she asks, uh, I think that's in the alley, Jeff. Oh, is that in the alley? Why are you being such a mega bitch? (laughs) I think you're right. Bitch. Gosh, it's so good. After she walks away from JD, um, two football players go up to him and start accusing him of being gay, to which JD pulls out a gun and shoots them. With blanks. <laughs> With blanks. <laughs> but it's very startling. But it's the it's like a very early, like jarring image of the movie, and especially in our context. Yeah, like, twenty twenty three goggles had me clutching. It's like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. it, it's funny how this movie um really plays with the look of an 80s teen comedy. Yeah. Because, like, it's all very, like, um, what would you call it? Like, filtered. It all feels very filtered. Like, everything's kind of soft in the movie. It's very yeah. colorful. It has this incredibly funny 80s synth score where everything's like, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Da, yeah, the, da, like, da. low pipe flute. <laughs> yeah. That Jeff and I were, like, it sounds like an instructional video we were sat down in front yeah. of in, like, yeah. eighth grade, seventh grade. And it's so funny how this is, up until this point, you could buy that this is just like an 80s comedy where it's like this girl is sick of being with all the rich kids. Now she's going to go back to her old friends. Right. And then he pulls out a gun and the movie completely changes his tenor. Yeah. Um, and it cuts back to them playing pol- uh, polo croquet again. Yeah. Jesus. Get your shit together. Yeah. And uh, they're like, well, like he's just going to be suspended for like a week or whatever. And I'm like, suspended for a week? <laughs> for a, yeah. a lo- even if his black's loaded weapon. Yeah. Yeah. They it's... have a little discussion, but it's all very like, like at some point he's just like, no, they should like lock him up. He's like, at most he's going to get suspended. It's totally fine. And then the conversation continues. It's like, like it's it. it was just blanks. Like whatever. Yeah. Like was... get over yourself. It was fine. Yeah. <laughs> oh, could not be done today. Could not be bothered. <laughs> and so before we run into JD again, we get a little more of uh, Veronica's like home life because the mm-hmm. parents come to pick up the Heathers and we're introduced to her parents, mom and dad. Um, and we get, I love the dad. Yeah. Because she pulls up and he's just sitting there reading like some shitty spy novel. And he's like, I wish someone would tell me why I read all these spy novels. And she's like, because you're an idiot. And he's like, oh, yep, that's it. You guys. <laughs> <laughs> and she like, it, sh- it shows that she lives this kind of idyll- idyllic lifestyle uh-huh. with her parents. Um, idyllic as you would, you know, see it in the 80s. Yeah. In the traditional sense. Yeah. Well, it's just these parents are so oblivious. Yeah. 
If I called my dad an idiot, game over. <laughs> game over. Game pal. over. Yeah. And it's her mom. I mean, it's it's drilled in, and the whole scene plays over again, right? Mm. It's, not, it's not a spy novel, and next time it's like a... It's a cigarette. Yeah, a cigarette. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, It's just, it's a very funny way to immediately set up the dynamics in this town, that it's like the parents are oblivious. They don't care about... Like, they care about their kids, and it's just assume that they're fine. Yeah. And don't care about going any deeper than that. Well, it was this whole same thing of like, like, we think about it now where it's like, parents with kids you know everybody's got a device everybody can be tracked and mm. have social media and all that stuff so it's a lot easier to like keep tabs on what your kids are doing and mm. all that stuff but if you travel back in time go on a saturday walk up to a house knock on the door and it's like parents and their kids aren't home and you ask them where are your kids right now <laughs> they won't know what to yeah. tell you it's like well they know to come home when the yeah. street lamps come on and like that's yeah, it yeah, yeah. yeah they have a curfew like they'll be back and that's it that was the t- that was yeah. the vibe the relationships are all very shallow the like parents just assume their kids are gonna grow up okay they don't really put much yeah. effort into learning them as p- who they are as people yeah i mean jd what- talks to his dad like he's the dad like he's yeah the dad yeah i was i was work today buddy yeah hey sport <laughs> that that's the funniest one because the dad is Fully, like, also a psychopath. Unhinged. Yes. Um, but thinks probably thinks his son is totally fine. <laughs> There's no problems with him. Yeah. Um, oh, man. But um, Winona, after, you know, she goes to a party. The next bit's the party, right? I, I, I think so. Again, my, my memory's a little bit vague on a lot of this stuff. Um, but I believe so because she goes with one of the Heathers. Yeah, she goes with Red Heather to a like a frat party, Chandler. and it's a yeah, college Chandler. party, and it's seen as like a huge a like an honor. It's like I'm taking you to the frat party. It's yeah. like there's be college boys there, mm-hmm. and this one of my favorite scenes is it's Winona in a hallway, and there's a guy like hitting on her. He's like, you know. It's kind of cool you're not in like college yet because, you know, then people just talk the normal shit like, what's your major, blah, blah, blah. And then she doesn't say anything and it gets quiet. So what do you think you'll study when you get to college? <laughs> <laughs> I think she's really interesting. Is that the whole like, I have a speech, but you're not even worth it? Yeah. Like speech for guys who want. Yeah, because he immediately tries to have sex with her. Yeah. She pushes him off. And he's like, you're going to give me some kind of speech? And she says, you're not worth my speech. Um, Queen. And she kind of storms out, or she finds um, Red Heather, Heather, Red Heather, who had just had um, sex and is like washing her mouth out. Mm-hmm. And she's like, "Heather, I feel really sick. We gotta go." I'm mean, was like, "What's your damage?" or something along those lines. What's your damage? Mm-hmm. I, just, I needed you to say it. Yeah. And then um, she vomits on Heather, and they run out into the alley where they have a confrontation. Veronica's yeah. basically removed from the Heather clique at this point. Yeah, effectively. And then she comes across JD, who's... Yeah, she comes back to her house and JD's there. Okay, that's what it was. Yeah. I, so I knew, like, how she met JD after the party was under weird circumstances. Yeah, he's just, like, yeah. at her house. He's like, greetings and salutations. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, it's giving milady. Mm-hmm. It's giving... Oh, my God, milady. <laughs> yeah, it's giving... Like, Pleased to meet you milady <laughs> like i on our first watch and my impression have you know it's been a, a year two years maybe since we watched this yeah. movie like my memory of jason slater in this movie was a lot more dark and mysterious than mm, bad boy. i got yeah, I, yeah. I, I, he's basically an edgelord uh, <laughs> oh my god 
<laughs> that's so perfect. That, that's what he is. He's an edgelord. Like, yeah. No, 100%. This movie at the beginning wants you to think that he's the cool Jack Nicholson type and then yeah. deconstructs it to the end where you realize this guy's just like a loser. Yeah. The reason he's doing this is because he's sad and lonely and wants to be dead and he wants to bring everyone else Nobody with him. Nobody loves me. It's like, that's what this was about. Yeah. It's like, it's really just a deconstruction of that archetype who appears in a lot of these movies. Because mm-hmm. like um, Breakfast Club, he's very similar to that one I, who I'm forgetting the actor's name in The Breakfast Club. Mm. Yeah. Like That's like kind of the yeah. outsider type. And that movie's lesson is like, well, he finds friends and everything's okay. Yeah. yeah. And this movie just takes it to its logical conclusion. Interesting take, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> it takes it to its logical. Logic. I mean, granted that, I mean, obviously I know like... Th- th- to get to that conversation already, but school shootings obviously been happening well yeah. before like Columbine and things like that. But I definitely think like this kind of just missed the, the turning point, which yeah. I think Columbine sort of established of like, okay, yeah. kids killing kids in schools is not funny anymore, guys. Like this, yeah. mo- the movie's message in that respect is kind of like, if we continue to live in this world where it's like, Parents don't put any interest into their kids, and kids just are all segmented and, and clicky. And, yeah, then it's going to lead to a kid who wants to blow we'll up the blow school. school. Will blow up the school. Yeah, and a lot of movies at this time would not dare to say that. No, that's no. a very controversial, you know, idea to have in your movie. That's controversial to say right now. Yeah, yeah. But a this lot m- of people don't want to blame the parents for the you mm. know more recent shootings. Um, and I was saying recent as in like this year, but mm. like. From Heather's onward. Yeah. Well, it's a lot of it's, oh, they were bullied or like these kids need to be nicer to each other. It's just like there's a, so much oversight from the parents. Yeah. And like and why, staff and teachers. And well, on a depressing note of that in a real life circumstance, like the Parkland shooter had access to guns in his house. Mm. The parents mm-hmm. said on national television, on a CNN interview, it's like, well, yeah, he knew the combination, but he knew the rules that the gun had to be back yeah. in the safe by 1030. It's the same. What? It's, it's yeah. very heavy. It's like we would it's go tell him to like heathers. he has to. It's time for dinner, and we would let him know in his room where he's messing with the rifle. Mm. And it's like you got to put the rifle away. It's time to go to dinner. I'm like insane. What? Yeah. <laughs> what? I, I think a lot about. Um, I can't believe I'm going to bring this up, but the South Park movie, where that movie's about the parents um, are concerned that their kids are all becoming assholes, <laughs> and so rather than blame themselves, they decide they're going to blame the television show that they all watch. Um, and more specifically, they're going to bring the country of Canada for animating the show and sing an Oscar-nominated song called Blame Canada, oh my uh, which was performed by Robin Williams at the Oscars that year. Oh, yeah. Wow. Um, it's an incredibly entertaining performance. You're going to watch it. But it, yeah. it has some really great... It's a really fun song. and It has some great lines like, we must... Um, let me. I'm going to try and find the lyrics to Blame Canada. Yeah. I, I, I saw an ad the other day that came up um, about a documentary... And it was a lot about the LGBTQIA, like, messaging and everything, mm. and that they're infiltrating even therapy now, and all the shaz. And I'm like, yeah. y'all will really, you guys will blame everybody but yourselves. Yeah. And so much so you're going to make an in-depth documentary that looks like you're digging up, like, the biggest dirt that nobody knows about it and nobody wants mm. to talk about. I'm like, you really will do that, except for except, recognizing yeah. your, your the actions The thing that's we're standing right in front of you. Yeah, which... Heathers, man. The exact line in Blame Canada is, for the smut we must stop, the trash we must smash, the laughter and fun must all be undone. We must blame them and cause a fuss before somebody thinks of blaming us. It's the <laughs> it's the Catholic pedophile ring yeah. when they said that this is because too many gays came into the church. Mm. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> the like, logic is missing. Yeah. <laughs> so JD's at 
Veronica's house. Yeah. Um, he does his greetings and salutations thing. Um, and she falls hook, line, and sinker for him at the moment. Yeah. And they kind of just, they sleep together. Yeah. Um, because he's, you know, honest with her, which is what she wasn't getting from the college guy. And, or anybody, really. Yeah. He actually has unique thoughts. Yeah. Um, which we'll later find out he doesn't have unique thoughts. But right. he very much is seeming to have unique thoughts and kind of tells her, like, you don't have to be with those crazy girls. <laughs> uh, and how much they both hate the Heathers. I love how everybody thinks they're so much smarter than Veronica. Mm-hmm. Like JD included. Yeah. Veronica's leaps and bounds ahead of everybody. Yeah. She's the old, she's the smartest character in the movie. She yeah. outsmarts everybody by the end of it. Yeah. yeah. A victim of getting gaslit a lot yeah. is the is the problem with JD. He's not mm-hmm. smart, but he's just really good at committing himself yeah. to gaslighting her. It actually mm-hmm. leads into my my only uh kind of riff with this movie is the fact that we don't really get to see how Veronica ended up with the Heathers. If she's really like as smart as the movie portrays her and as someone who, you know, through a little bit of trouble, you know, becomes really like self uh, aware and like really um, takes control of like her own destiny. How does she end up with a trio of like the most airheaded, mm-hmm. selfish, like unintelligent, you could yeah. say like, I think for me, like you kind of said it with the mummy quote of like better to be at the right yeah. hand of the devil than in its path. I kind of see it as more as like camouflage because that's it's like if I if I'm not on their side of the aisle, I'll be a target and yeah. I'll end up like Martha Dump Truck. Or, I, sorry. <laughs> I think that's just like, the way to not, you know, say society, but like it's the way society. that that this movie is like this movie's argument of society is like that's how you're supposed to do it is you get you work for the people in power. Yeah. Mm. Um, oh, okay. It's all okay. about power. And I was like, you, that's where you want to be is you should work for the people in power and forget about the people who aren't. And it's totally her arc to leave the Heathers at the end. Yes. Right. Like it's, it's not necessarily. Yeah. I think it's, it's the jump from where she is of the Heathers to becoming uh, self-aware that the movie does a lot of work to get you there. But there's like a moment where I was like, that's a little bit of a logic jump a little bit, just in the sense that she, not even so much because like after all of like jd's like gaslighting gaslighting and eventually she just kind of like calls it for what it is Hmm. and says like none of this is actually like that intelligent or wise like she even calls him on his bluff by hanging herself yeah exactly um so i don't know but i i think it was uh that's just my interpretation is the power dynamic thing with it yeah working for the rich and so the she we keep cutting back to Winona writing in her diary. That's like a through line through the movie. Huge mm-hmm. penmanship, by the way. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> she writes in massive lettering. It's yeah, crazy. It's, it's like seven big words. ass B. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's like everybody wants her Midwest accent's really coming out in this movie. Yes, it is, which is great. Uh, she's like everybody wants me to be a part of it. You want me to grow up, be adults, and die. <laughs> That's a, everybody's pigeonholed into this. You could probably do it better, Becca. I, I'm rearing up for it. Just give me a minute. <laughs> rearing up for it. <laughs> Gotta really activate Midwest mode. Because I feel like her and I actually talk kind of similarly. You do have just, similar. Yeah, I'm just yeah. now realizing. Yeah. It's the northern Midwest tone. Yeah. Uh, where is she from? She's from Winona, Minnesota, which is right on the border That's of right. Wisconsin. No, I definitely know where Winona mm-hmm. is. Yeah. yeah. You don't have to tell me that. There's a native Wisconsinite over here. <laughs> I guess technically you're a Minnesotan originally. Yeah. Born and so. born and so- somewhat raised. Born and somewhat raised. In Minnesota, the great state. Mm-hmm. Did I know this? 
Maybe. I, I, I moved to Wisconsin in 2000. So. Uh, okay. Uh, 2001, actually. Mm. Yeah. Christmas, 2001. The great state. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. At least you weren't born in New Jersey. Or Indiana. Or Indiana. <laughs> Gee, I should have said you that. You know who Jeez. was, though, born in Indiana? The DP of this movie. Uh, <laughs> Shame for him. <laughs> Shame. Probably had a bad childhood. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I totally remember that she was named after the town she was born in. I totally remember that now. But the, um, so their, their plan is they're, they want to get back at Heather and she's like, let's make her vomit tomorrow. Yeah. And so they break into her house. They break into a lot of houses in this movie. Very chill. Just by opening the back door. Very chill. Well, it's like those eighties thing where the bullies, like, you know, we think of bullying now. It's like, Oh, like give him a swirly, give me a wedgie. And bullying back then in movies is like, let's, carve a letter on his stomach and you're oh. like whoa like it part one yeah. is like we're literally gonna cut into this guy's stomach and it's like or stand by me or yeah. anything like that and they like, say kids these days need to touch grass they had nothing but grass <laughs> in 80s Her faces were getting so many ways uh but yeah they do break into yeah. the house she's like what if we do something like combine orange juice and milk mm. and spit in it i love that scene so much yeah. and jay's like I got the rat the, poison. <laughs> she's, she's totally unaware of like what he's really capable of. Mm-hmm. And the whole movie is just her finally catching on to it. Because she keeps thinking he's joking. Right. Because he, he pulls up um hole cleaner. Right. Or like drain. Dr- hole, drain. hole cleaner. <laughs> yeah. Hole cleaner. That's what it says on the thing. <laughs> it says hole cleaner. <laughs> no. Mm. No. Um, hole cleaner. And so he. Oh God! And I guess same difference. <laughs> that's what no, that's what it says on the label that Just, he picks up. Can you really? say that? Yeah. And the Christian Slater voice is like, "What if we put some hole cleaner? H U L L hole cleaner." Um, but he's like, "What if we try this?" And she's like, "Oh, that's so funny." He's like, "Ah, I think we should do it." And so he pours like a coffee cup, and she's like, "No, we can't do that." And he's like, "All right, but I'll put the lid on so she won't know." Um, he is. He does very much sound like Jack when you think about it. Yeah, S- so much. When he um, brought it up, I'm part of he's just kind of took a star off of yeah. his performance, in my opinion. <laughs> he was a who wears a big long black trench coat, like essentially like the whole movie. Yeah. Which, sorry, but red flag number one. Yeah. <laughs> right there. Well, red flag was greetings and salutations. That. Yeah. Pulling out a gun in the cafeteria. <laughs> that too. The uh, thing about this movie is that what they should do is um they should have had actual Jack Nicholson in 1988 play this role but as a teenager no, no, the, like no, Jack like Jack no, and his like kind no. of Batman rotunda era oh just being God. like Jeff you are right, on an island right let now let me think about it Jesus we're gonna blow up the school <laughs> you know what I was just thinking of no. like uh, on a, a it's gonna it's a wildly different movie but it's on the same vein of like ignoring red flags until you kind of have mm. to barbarian Kind of, kind of similar yeah. in that regard yeah. of like, like she's with Justin Long, who is this like horrible rapist, and yeah. uh, and she's like, I have to save him, I have to save him, but it's like, come get your baby, throws her off a cliff mm. to oh save his own God. skin, like just kind of like that vibes with Winona, who doesn't really see at this point in time like the capabilities of JD. Mm. I mean, um, the the movie. Oh, the thing I kept thinking about watching this movie is the pilot for Twin Peaks, which mm. is a a 90 minute episode of television. That's just all about the way that grief radiates throughout a community and everyone makes it about them, mm. which is very much what this movie is. Yeah. 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 So yeah. much so. Yeah. Very much. Yeah. Um, and I would obviously include some of the first season of that, but like the pilot of Twin Peaks, which was deduced was made as its own independent thing. Yeah. Um, as a movie. 
Uh, you can just you can very much see some similarities between that and this movie. Yeah, um, and their analysis of how grief goes through a community. Well, speaking of grief, we get to the penultimate scene of Heather's right now. Yes. Yeah. So this is the penultimate. Uh, We're at the end. <laughs> <laughs> this right. guy. Uh, We're at Heather Chandler's end. Yeah. And Trudeau. This is the weirdest like death scene because she's asleep in bed. Yeah. And they just like stand over her bed and she wakes up. It's like the fuck you guys doing here? It's yeah. like we, we made, made you some concoction. <laughs> Well, the thing, the thing is, JD definitely calls that she's just exactly what he thinks she is. Mm. Like, oh, look, she won't drink it because, you know. You're too chicken. You're too chicken. And then she immediately drinks it. Yeah. And then she's like, you think I'm going to drink it just because you say I'm a chicken? And then she takes it and drinks it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I like that because it, it basically would be like Drano is the equivalent of what she drinks. Yeah. Uh, um, a whole cleaner, Jeff. Yeah, that is. Blitz. Blitz. I will bring up the scene in the movie. That's what it says on the model. <laughs> I believe you. With, outside of this podcast, whatever you say, Drado, I'm just going to say whole, whole cleaner, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. whole cleaner. Anyway, sorry. Uh, but yeah, she drinks that and almost immediately is like coughing up, yeah, she, chokes. Well, she we, just start. Yeah, Jeff and I were thinking about it, how painful that would be. Yeah, Drano. Throw acid down your gullet. Yeah. What do you think is worse, Drano or bleach? Drano. Drano. Drano? Drano's like faster. Yeah, I think Drano... Super acidic. Yeah, that like would dissolve your insides immediately. Yeah, Yeah. it's true. Which bleach would do eventually, but... But you can at least stomach it maybe a little bit. For like maybe 20 seconds. (laughs) Yeah. Both are deadly. Highly deadly. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Please. We talked about the Teenage Suicide movie. Don't do it. Teenage Suicide. Don't Don't do do it. it. That is Uh, the song. (laughs) Um, she immediately croaks. Yeah, she dies and falls through a glass table. She says something um, that I can't remember what the line is, oh, but she says some shit. final testament, um, and she's dead. Yeah. Um, and then Veronica immediately loses her mind. Uh, she's very f- upset. She says, um, "I have to send my SAT scores to San Quentin instead mm. of Sanford." Amazing. No. Yeah. Which is really funny because the R in Ohio, uh, San Quentin, oh, San, yeah. San Francisco. Good. But it's a good joke regardless. It is a good joke because he gaslights her into thinking that she just grabbed the wrong cup. Yes. Even though he clearly like did a little switcheroo. His his manipulation is fast. Yeah. Very fast. And so he, he's saying, it's like, deadly. well, hey, like, why don't we just like say that she committed suicide? Like, you got good handwriting, right? And so he kind of like takes her hand. And like makes her like write the note. Or no, wait. I think that's, that's a little later. That's a little bit yeah. later, actually, when it's like it does for happen. Some, something else. But yeah, so he was she, gonna kill her. She she writes starts writing the note, and she's like she starts using like vocabulary that Heather wouldn't use. Yeah. What what's the particular myriad. word? Myriad. myriad. It's like because he's like a mere the myriad of life's, life's problems. problems. She's like he she wouldn't have said that. She flunked um the vocabulary test last week for myriad and high it's school like, vocabulary so that's test. exactly why, why she would use it right because of, of her failures is all coming back failure. to her now <laughs> and so then that happens like they they write the note and they leave and then like the story breaks out of yeah. like heather having committed suicide there's um, we we the, i think the first thing we see is like the school room i was gonna say is it the boardroom yeah it's the school boardroom yeah. Where the principal <laughs> tells all the teachers, like, yeah, student commits suicide. Um, we're going to keep Very it under sad. wraps. We're going we're gonna, to, we can let them out for like an hour early, but we can't yeah. do a half day for a cheerleader. <laughs> like, uh, or no, yes. Like, what was she? It's like, it was Heather. Was Heather a cheerleader? Um, no, the other Only Heather. The yellow. I, I thought what they said was like, oh, well, if she was a cheerleader, I could give him half a day off. <laughs> I was like, whoa. Yeah. 
this scene just to hit home more of like how dumb the adults are. Yeah. Like really all. And they're all, all the teachers are kind of apathetic about the whole scenario. Except for one. Except for one who's like, we need to come together in a, as a community. And they're like, shut up, Mrs. And celebrate. <laughs> yeah. I think the, the principal or maybe superintendent was just like, yeah. Uh, We're not going to do that. <laughs> well, he was like, tell me how tight the straight jacket is. Or like, he mm. makes a joke that she's like crazy. Yeah. Right. Something like that. And the thing is like, both sides of this are just like, they're, they're uninformed adults. Yeah. Always. Yeah. There's even the teacher who really wants to like help the student populace is doing it mostly for her own benefit. Yeah. And then also, just kind of feels like if we all come together, that'll fix everything. Well, there is a teacher, and is it is it the kind of like you know, um, for lack of a better term, like the hippie uh, mm-hmm. teacher? Is she the one that says like this is a a reflection of our own failure? Yeah, I think a, a teacher does say that essentially, she, like the whole thesis of the movie. Yeah, she says it's a reflection of our own failure, and the way we fix it is by all coming together as a community. So it was the same teacher. That's yeah. Funny. Okay. You know what I kind of felt that as? You guys had like Dare come to your school. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of how I felt it. It's like the Dare. Oh, we had Deputy Deb come. Deputy Deb. Yeah. I can't remember what our Deputy Dare instructor Deb was. Deputy Deb was our Dare instructor. I mean, I, I've told you about my high school putting on a, a whole um, homecoming, like trying to prevent kids from driving drunk. Oh, yeah. We had a pre-prom. Uh, 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 sort of, uh, what do you call that? Uh, reenactment. <laughs> Well, it was Grim Reaper Day. Uh, yeah. You know, this is Heather's course, so I will tell this story, but a, a bridge version. Essentially, a bunch of students got to sign up to be part of Grim Reaper Day. And there was, you could sign up to be an escort, you can assign to be dead. And all those who signed out to be dead got pulled out of class by a police officer and a Grim Reaper, or like a guy in a Grim Reaper costume. They would have a big long spiel of like, your fellow student, Tracy decided to drive drunk after homecoming and she is dead. And then they pull you out of class very solemnly. And then that student disappears for the school day only to come back. Fuck yeah. That and they're, nice. they're like roped off in the cafeteria because we're meant to have missing students. Like these students are dead. Right. And the escorts are only there to be the mode of communication between the dead student and the real student. Wait, so they're mediums. I, <laughs> My gosh, I'm so into the lore of this now, but Me too. I, I was a dead student. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, and when they got to the uh, gymnasium, um, what did they call that? Auditorium? Well, no, like when you bring everybody into the gymnasium. Oh, like a pep rally? Pe- like pep, rally. A pep rally. The pep rally, all the lights were off in the cafeteria. All of the students that were dead had a white cloth and they were laying on the floor while the escort held a tombstone with their name on it. The pep rally starts. There's no talking. They haul in a real casket. Oh, my God. And police officers. This is all real. Circa 2013. The police officers carry this casket to a little like platform um, at the front of the gym on the stage. And then a real person comes out and tells his story about how he drove drunk as a teenager and killed four of his friends like an actual inmate tells this story okay there's so, so much pomp and circumstance to this yes someone was really proud of God themselves damn. for coming up to this so what happened with my ours was a pre-prom 
and what they did was like the first thing is i don't know i was never like a volunteer for any of the things my god what is this joker doing a gt super supercharger truck yeah if you guys hear that i'm sorry Um, maybe i can take it out but um so i never i don't know what the volunteer process was like or any of the logistics because like i was never part of it but what they would do is they brought us all out outside first and to the parking lot and what they they staged like a car accident yeah i've had this too yeah Yeah. where like they 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 do the production value really high because Mm -hmm. they they have like a a busted windshield and they one of the students who volunteers to be dead is like over the windshield dead Mm -hmm. and they have other people like in full like prom gowns and outfits like literally crying weeping and they brought an ambulance they stage a whole scene as if it was like a drunk driver my school brought a helicopter in Jesus Christ. Yeah. They go balls to the wall <laughs> with this. And then they brought us into the auditorium where the first they have like two stages sent uh, where they have a scrim to divide the sets. Yeah. So they had the scrim down for the first set. The first set was a court case. And you had the, the guy who was being arrested outside. This is a production. In like full on like inmate outfit and you they hired they got a judge a real fucking judge to read the sentencing of this kid of be like uh, Nathan Pike or blah, blah, blah. That's his real name. Nathan Pike was the guy who got arrested. <laughs> as far as I'm aware, he's married. I think they have a child on the way and they're doing very well. So he's fine. But they was like, Nathan Pike, I sentenced you to so many of your ears, blah, 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 blah. And then like sometimes gavel and then it goes black. The scrim goes up. Lights come back on. It's a funeral. And it's an open <laughs> casket with the same kid in the casket. And you on the side, you have the kid's actual family. I think it was Connor Kreider, who's also, oh I believe, my. doing very well living in Grand Rapids, Michigan. He has a podcast called uh, Cardboards and uh, Caffeine and Cardboard. It's a board games podcast. Go listen to it. It's actually pretty Ooh. good. But Connor Kreider was the one who was dead in the casket. I think it was Connor's family. Maybe it was Kyle Pratt. I don't know. But they're all like actually weeping and crying and all that stuff. And then the best part, because they had to record this in advance, they play voiceover in the auditorium. It's the voice of the dead kid. Who's <laughs> like, am I dead? Oh my God. I wish I had a drink before <laughs> leaving, bro. And then when Nona Ryder comes up and says, technically, I didn't kill you. Right. <laughs> and so this, the, this feels very on and, point. And then the lights all go black again, and then the scrim goes back up, and then the whole spotlights come up, and it's the whole cast of the show, and they take a bow or whatever. Like, it's a whole-ass production. Jesus. And then, like, the dare speaker, whoever the fuck comes out. Maybe it was a principal, and they're like, we tell you this whole production to show you the value, blah, 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 blah. We don't want people getting in bad trouble and dying and whatever. Mm. Have fun at prom. <laughs> yeah, Jeff, what did your Catholic school do? We didn't do anything. <laughs> yeah. We never did this. My God. It was a full-scale production, yeah, though. Yeah, that's like, wild. They put that's crazy. money into it. I never experienced I think it was like actually that. a federal thing, too. Yeah. I think schools get federal subsidizing to do that. No mm-hmm. joke. I that really, makes sense I really do think that's school. a thing. Yeah, yeah. I wonder how much Grim Reaper Day cost this tiny Wisconsin town. It cost a soul. I want to say, because obviously the students and the students' families who are all the actors were free, but like getting the police to come in, bring all the cars and all that not stuff. Cheap. I bet it was like, probably not that expensive though, because it's local, yeah. small town, Huntington, Indiana. So I, It's a traveling show. $8,000. Yeah, $8,000. I think I'm out what it costs. Uh, so Heather's dead. Heather's dead. They, they frame it as a suicide that she's committing suicide because nobody understood her and how deep she really was and all the problems she was going through yeah that she was very popular but at the very inner core very sad and depressed after the teachers all meet i think we just go to the funeral yeah where it becomes very apparent <laughs> to winona that 
Heather is more now more popular in death than she was in life. Yeah, she's become like a martyr symbol. Yeah, or that, whatever. that's someone who even you know her worst, even her best friends would like kind of still regard as a shallow, powerful person. Everyone that now prescribes her death or depth, and the pastor comes up and starts saying his. Yeah, uh, the pastor play is Otho from Beetlejuice, which really threw me off. Glenn Shaddix is Glenn the name. Shaddix. Do you know the name that he's billed in as? Like what his actual name in the mo- character no. name in the movie? No, Father Ripper. Yeah, hell yeah, <laughs> Father ah. Ripper. <laughs> um, he's like kind of cool. She's suffered deeply in life through all of her problems. And but now she's in God's hands now. And Verona, and angel. we do get a fun sequence of everybody kind of coming up and sitting at the casket and kind of speaking to her. Yeah. Men, we read their minds. God, why'd you have to take a snack? <laughs> that was a joke. Uh, and there's the one guy who's just like, she was hot. Um, yeah. The other, um, her mom. The green Heather. Yeah. What does the green Heather say? Um, She's, sm- she's kind of like, she also wished that Heather Chandler would die too. Yeah. She goes, I just didn't think, you know, I guess you listened to me, God. <laughs> she thanks God for yeah. listening to her prayer to kill Heather Chandler. And it's just a way of showing how everybody makes the death of this girl about themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, even though, even in the fake suicide, they blame the community. She blames the community for her death. Mm. Um, and they all just kind of take that as like, well, I wasn't the problem. I wasn't the part of it. I'm going to make this about me. And Veronica's yeah. just very much sees through this facade that's happening. Yeah. Um, and goes further and further into JD's orbit with this. Um, things move very quick from this point on in this movie. Yeah. Because she is invited by one of the other headers, the yellow one, um, to go out on a double date that night with uh, two football players. Oh, uh, cow tipping. Yeah. yeah. They go cow tipping um, and get shit splashed all over them. Um. Once again, a uh, football player tries to sleep with Winona and she storms off. Yeah, that, that scene, like that shot from pretty much up on the hill and the yellow Heather is essentially being raped. raped. Mm-hmm. Like that, oh man, that scene kind of like bothers me. Mm. I All the comedy is kind of ripped out of that scene. Yeah. It, it was really hard to watch because, yeah, you're right. At the And one note, it's like, like, I know like the filmmakers trying to make a point of this whole thing by very carefully placing this rape scene happening happening in the background of an OTS shot on yeah. Winona. Oh yeah, I didn't even think of that. Yeah. It's it's but like even knowing that I'm still not quite like justifying like ah, but I, I don't know, it's still mm-hmm. a little bit. That's a little bit. Gnarly. It's an upsetting scene. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but she gets out of there and runs into JD who's at the top of the hill backlit by this massive blue light. Mhm. <laughs> um There's a lot yeah. of that blue blue light he's like you need a ride you need to get out of here can i just say something yeah. you've been out of work for so long something i really miss light. i miss the fucking condor night scene lighting don't you guys just like On there's sets. something a little bit magical about like condors that are like two city blocks away from you lifted like 600 feet in the air blasting massive amounts of like blue light it just comes out of nowhere very obvious there's not an electric in the room with us yeah. today but <laughs> yeah. I, do, I, I, I agree miss, it's, it's I fine miss that little vibe there it's a good look. Hopefully we'll see that again soon. Yeah, we'll see that very soon, actually. Yeah. Um, so she goes off with JD, and they decide they're going to get back at the two football players mm-hmm. but for attempting to rape Veronica and successfully raping the other Heather. Yeah. Um, well, they, do, they decide they're going to get back at them, but then it hits into overdrive the next day because Veronica comes to school and finds out that the, one of the football player who didn't succeed at getting her it's has been spreading the rumor, the rumor that uh, she sucked his dick. Yeah. the previous night and is like telling everybody yeah, like yeah Veronica Sawyer like suck my dick yeah um, 
And so she goes to JD and is like, what are we going to do? And he's like, well, we'll scare him with the little tranquilizer bullets. Yeah, it's like it's they're wooden bullets um, from Germany in World War yeah. II, which is a real thing mm-hmm. that they did. Uh, so it's like, yeah, they they're they don't they're only they're made of wood, so they don't like penetrate fully through the body. They'll stop. They just they they're meant to hurt you, not kill you. Mm-hmm. He, he said he <laughs> describes it as a tranquilizer bullet that'll spray red paint, but just knock them out. Um, is it a tranquilizer bullet? I yeah, he it... says tranquilizer oh, okay. that will That's just what... break the skin enough. Because he to mentions drop his grandfather's like World War Two. Yeah, gun. he says they're World War Two bullets. Oh, um, okay. Um, which oh, is just tranquilizer. Like espionage. Oh, or something. interesting. It, it's like clearly just bullshit he's coming up with. Yeah. Like he's just making up a complete facade to kind of sell her the authenticity of this. Because I thought he was saying like, because in real, Germans did have like the World War, like wooden bullets meant to injure in World War yeah. II. That's why I thought they were doing. Okay. He, he, it's like some variety of that. Yeah. So, and then he, so he's going to say something like that. You're going to lure them out there. You're going to write them a note or something to say like, Hey, if you guys want to do all those things you said you did to me, come meet me out in the woods or something like that. Mm. Um, so then they all meet her there and they're like, so are we just going to get right into it? And it's like, yeah, just you stand here, you stand here and strip. And it's like, well, what about you? It's like, well, I want you to rip all my clothes off of me. So they're like, hoo, 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 hoo. <laughs> and they start stripping and then, JD pops out, pops shoots out, one of them, shoots one of them. He's dead. He drops. Yeah. And Winona is like laughing because she thinks he just got knocked out. This was actually kind of upsetting. Yeah. Because she's selling it so well of like, oh, I know he's not dead. He, 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 he. And then yeah. pulls out a gun and misses the other guy. And then he runs away in fear and she's laughing about it. He's like, JD's like, you let him go. It's like, it's fine. He got the message. And yeah. then JD starts Terminator 2 sprinting <laughs> after him. <laughs> um, I I low-key thought it was going to be like Neo the Matrix with his trench coat. He was just going to start floating and chasing after him. Yeah, but. that's when we get the best part of the Heather's score, which is that 80s. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. That like synth marching sound kind of. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so he makes it back up to him and uh, shoots him. Does he shoot him in the back or no? Yeah, she shoots him. He oh, right, guides yeah, her up to her and uh, Winona pulls her gun out and shoots him. Because somehow either the guy who was running didn't come back to her. She chased after. Well, no, JD successfully chases him in a circle oh, back to the spot. Got it. And Winona got at this point realizes they're real guns. And she still chooses to shoot the other kid, the other yeah. guy. Out of, out of fear, yeah. kind of like trapped. Out of fear that she's going to be revealed as a murderer. Yeah. And so she shoots him and JD pulls out his little bag that he had brought. Um, mineral water. Yeah. Mineral water. Which has mineral water, gay porn, and some others, and a note. Mascara, uh, a couple yeah. other things. And they stage it as like it was two um, guys having sex, and then they killed each other. Yeah. Um, Out of their oppressed homosexuality. Yeah. Quarterback buggering a linebacker. Yeah. What a waste. And then we get my favorite joke in the movie, which is we cut to two cops oh who are just God. sitting in the car and they're eating sandwiches. And one of them's like, I think I just heard a, I think I just heard a gunshot. And the other guy just goes, Oh shit, let's roll! <laughs> Slams the car on and zooms out of there. <laughs> I don't know why. Just the way he just yells that really gets. Oh shit, let's roll! <laughs> and it's funny because JD plants this like, and it's it's not great, but yeah. he he plants this stuff to make it seem like it mm. was a suicide pact between two gay lovers. Yeah. And the cops fall for it, hook, line, and sinker. And it's like, oh, the mineral water is like, anybody, anybody you know, drinks mineral water. The cops are like, mineral water. <laughs> They're like, 
they're gay. It's like, well, the, cat, the case is cracked. It's like, we don't have to do any more investigating. I know what happened here. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. I love my dead gay son. Yeah. yeah so the, <laughs> it, it goes right to their funeral um, where Otho is once again presenting. Is that yeah. where the frame starts upside down and turns around? Yeah, I think it does that for the dream one. Oh, okay. 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 Um, that makes sense. And so we go to the funeral of the two guys and there's it's so fun it's so terrible but they're in football they're in their full football <laughs> gear with the, hel- with the helmets oh my god and one of their dads is up there i and feel like just, they're trying to preserve their masculinity yeah they're preserve they're preserving the masculinity but also just like that is a high school thing that they buried them with their football gear like that's the high that's the image of the high school mm. and the dad's up there and he's just like my son i guess i didn't know him that well but I tell you, I still love him no matter what. I love my what dead gay son. son. <laughs> oh my god! Um, this movie is deeply sad, even if it is really funny. It, it's it's a hard one to like Classify. recommend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like this movie is really just like about how sad being a teenager at this time is. Yeah, how how or in general, it is. really. I, yeah. th- I think the message still rings true, of mm. not more so these days, albeit the subject material being a lot harder to swallow. Yeah. How alienating your so. life is and how everyone will assign importance to you when you don't have any say in the matter. Like I was going to bring up euphoria in some sense of like, but that oh. takes it to such a serious subject matter rather than like putting it in like a weird kind of black comedy satire. light. Yeah, mm. satire. Mm-hmm. So like it's almost like... I. I don't even think it's a really fair comparison to make. Like, I can't think of anything that like takes something like this type of subject matter and in the same sort of black comedy light mm. in a satirical way today. I, I, we also had this thought about um, how I, cause I said during the movie, I'm like, man, I wonder if people like me looking on Heather's and I was thinking more in terms of like what they were wearing. Cause I mm. always find that interesting, especially with the eighties. Uh, that people would maybe look at Euphoria and assume our generation dressed that way or acted that way mm. or did those things, and I don't think Euphoria advertises itself as a satire enough. Yeah. Nor I do I even believe it really is a satire, mm-hmm. especially after a while. Because yeah. Euphoria came out in what year? And I was like, I was probably I was well, seventeen, eighteen. I was well out of high school at that point in time, and so like I'm looking back at this and I'm like, did high school change that drastically yeah. from the years I left and when this happened? And granted, I know it's like it, is, that's in. California too, LA, yeah. probably different culture maybe. I don't know, but like Well, the the thing about Euphoria is that it came out in 2019. It's written by Sam Levinson, who is oh. a um let me look at how old he is. He's oh, 38 tr- years old. True, 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 true. But the who's how old's the writer of this movie? Like um Daniel he, Waters? Yeah, he would have been like 25. Daniel Waters? Yeah, he would have been oh, 25 wow. writing this wow. movie. Wow. Maybe there's something to say that I feel like this is a movie where <laughs> most of the cast are in their teens, mm-hmm. whereas a lot of the people in their in the cast of Euphoria are in their like twenties or just mm-hmm. right after eighteen. I, to my understanding, from a season one, none of them were actual high school age. Yeah. Um, well, that's because they needed them to be. You know what I think yeah. could be like the the best possible, but it's still not even in the serious subject matter of this. Sex education, maybe. I think that's one that like. It, it deals with like the dynamics of high school. Granted, it is like British, so mm. probably different cultural things happening there as well. But that's one that takes like 
sex is a subject matter, both in the sense of like just the the culturalness surrounding it, but also like sort of the toxic nature of it when mm. people are that age, both from within school mm. and outside of school, that they kind of use to spin it on like a, a subject matter. Um, I mean, I do think Euphoria kind of fits into it. Euph- yeah. Euphoria is like the first season is fine. The second season, I don't really like that much, but it is very much a satire. Mm. That second season is is like so much a satire to the extent that like they write a play about about the first season. Yeah, about the yeah. first season. Yeah. Um, and like, I don't think it's very well written because I think Sam Levinson's a hack. But mm-hmm. um, tell us how you really feel. Agreed. Um, it's really thrilling that his other show got canceled. I'm ch- I'm cheering. What for, was this other show? Um, it was the Idol. It was the one with the weekend delivering oh, some of the worst acting you've ever seen right. in your life. Yeah, and I the, didn't hear about that. The show is just yeah. I don't even want to talk. Yeah, about all it. all the stories from behind the scenes of both the Idol and Euphoria have all been bad. Mm-hmm. There's cool. there's very few good behind the scenes stories that come out of those. I, shows. I, I'm uneducated. I don't know what the behind the scenes stories are. Just Sam Levinson's very like I don't want to say abusive to the cast necessarily, everyone but like agrees to do what they're doing. Yeah, everyone agrees to but... do what they're doing, but it's just like really long hours, really punishing work for the cast. The um the actress Barbie Ferreira who played the um the I'm forgetting the character's name Cat like the the girl who struggles with oh, her weight in the yeah, show. Yeah. Um, removed herself from the show because she felt like kind of bullied by Sam Levinson to do like nude scenes and well, stuff so like that. so much nudity where it didn't need to be. And mm-hmm. if the actresses were like, "Why is my top off in this scene if I'm just talking to my boyfriend or mm-hmm. what have you?" And it was a lot of just like, "Shut up and do what you do." Yeah, mm, that's bad. No, it's not great. It's not a good thing. No. Not ideal. Yeah. Um, which is why, like, regardless of that, I think Heather's is a much more nuanced take on the t- on So the much subject. more, yeah. And that's, I guess, my ultimate point is I can't pinpoint anything that could be told to be... the same vein. Yeah, like, something that's been replicated as closely as it can be to Heather's today. Mm-hmm. I've heard Pen15 is really good. Yeah. Penis. Yeah. Thank you, Jeff. I said to say it. Can you say it in Christian Slater voice? <sighs> i love it was the build-up to it you had to go he was getting into it but essentially the the two football players become martyrs to homophobia (laughs) yes no um which is the exact wording off of the wikipedia and i love um and so veronica breaks up with jd she doesn't think his way is working because now it's just making all these people who they were trying to get at more popular and jd to my impression, he's kind of like loving it regardless yeah. because he knows this is the reaction. He's gardening this reaction mm. regardless. Veronica thinks the opposite is going to happen now that mm. she's supported the killings necessarily, but JD eating it all yeah. up. She wants to destroy their reputations. He wants, he knows that they're dead and that's they're dead and that no one else can. Cause it's know. not a smart take. Yeah. For JD's side. No, no. JD's side. It's like, I'm, you know, to, get the better up on them, we'll just kill them. Yeah. yeah he wants to in- blow the lid off right. of society. Which is not an intelligent take other besides like what Veronica wants to do. Mm-hmm. Like she wants to actually like topple down like the yeah. reputations and make them seem for who they are. And that they're not accomplishing that. Yeah. And she like, wants to liberate the oppressed people in the school, including herself. JD as like he is a deeply insecure character who think who is worried about like being seen as insecure and having no depth. Because he doesn't have any. Yeah. He just read Catcher in the Rye once. Yeah. That's his whole thing. Is like, <laughs> yeah. Um, and so he's just he wants to he wants to make the world and himself and his image is like this place of insane depth and deepness and thought to it. Yeah. Um. 
through his end goal, which is to blow up the school. Mm-hmm. He gets that uh, method by recruiting Green Heather um, to mm. essentially get a petition signed that he said that they say is for various reasons, including putting a hot tub in the cafeteria. Kind of pulling her own game against yeah. her. Or utilizing what she claims to be good at. Yeah, is getting people to sign things. Mm-hmm. Uh, meanwhile, it's a mass suicide note mm-hmm. underneath all the like various layers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that everyone thinks like we're killing ourselves and blowing up our school to show that um, we all are the protesting. Society doesn't care about society us. Society doesn't care about us and will just ascribe their own meanings to us. Yeah. Heather or uh, Veronica starts figuring out about this scheme. She mm-hmm. starts pe- putting the pieces together slowly but surely. Um, meanwhile, Martha um, tries to commit suicide on her own, um, removed from JD and yeah. Veronica's um, machinations. Uh, she tries to kill herself with a note because she feels like nobody likes her and wants to be loved. Mm-hmm. Um, and she thinks the only way to be loved is to be dead. Um, she su- she survives the suicide attempt, thankfully. Yeah. Um, and instead, it's a gets dark more turn bullied. in the movie. Yeah, it's it's not is not presented in the same tonality as anybody yeah. any other death. It's yeah. not presented as a funny thing that she does. It's like how deep this has gotten. That like a character who actually feels isolated mm-hmm. um, now thinks because of what JD's done that the best way to be loved is to be dead. Yeah, because then people will like her. Um, and that's where Veronica kind of snaps because she was responsible for the letter that got Martha you know, laughed at in the cafeteria at the the head of the movie. She starts to see her own actions. She can't blame anybody else now but herself. Except herself. And she puts herself in a shower and, like, screams and whatnot. Um, She goes... I mean, there's a bit where she saves Yellow Heather from her own suicide attempt um, because they had spread a rumor about her. Oh, with the pills and... Yeah. Yeah. She tries to... Because she was on a radio... She phoned into a radio show that Green Heather heard and started spreading what she said on it around. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she tries to kill herself with sleeping pills. Uh, Veronica stops her from doing it, realizing that her role within the school now is to put an end to this. Yeah. I had to pause when um, the yellow Heather is trying to get the cap off of the pill bottle and goes, mm-hmm. damn, these child locks. <laughs> and it's like, these are kids, Yeah, yeah. you know? These are they kin- shouldn't be. This shouldn't be. Th- it actually went the like um, lovey-dovey teacher. Mm-hmm. At the end, it was just like suicide is the biggest decision a teenager can make. Mm-hmm. Trying to like like such a weird way to phrase that. Putting that like accepting people's choices language yeah. onto suicide, mm-hmm. which is um, something that comes out of an it comes out of deep desperation. Yeah. Yeah. These are kids. It, yeah. I actually get really sad by the line when she's like, damn, these child locks. And she's mm-hmm. literally trying to down pills. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's where the tonality of Heather's can be a little bit hard to swallow for some people. Mm-hmm. Um, I can tell that line because I know what it's what it's doing. It's not hard to know. Yeah. It's not hard to know. Yeah. That's not what I'm saying. But it, that's a hard one for me. And um, it's it's a rough scene. And then Veronica goes home and her parents tell her that JD stopped by. Um, and said that, the, that he was worried that she'd try and kill herself. Yeah. Yeah, he told us to be nervous of sharp objects, uh, garage doors, per, <laughs> uh, prescription drugs. And the parents yeah. just start ridiculous. rambling off all these things as she walks away and up the stairs, and they're still listing off the things. Yeah, oblivious. Yeah. But she realizes that JD is going to try and kill her. Yeah. Um, and so she fakes her own suicide. Yeah. 
like a fake hanging. Yeah, she has a, There's a dream sequence where she attends a funeral um, for. I think it's Green Heather. Green Heather. Yeah. Green Heather, and everyone's like. Martha. She thinks she's. I actually think she. Veronica thinks that she's the next subject, not her. Yeah. Um, I think so too. Yeah. Well, because she fakes she's her trying own. Trying to say su- Green Heather. What's this? I, I'm pretty sure at that point she believes that JD's going after the green Heather because she's and been a pawn her. for him. Well, I think because her, he told her parents to be nervous about her committing suicide, that's when she realizes, oh, JD's coming to my house tonight to kill me. And that's why she fakes her suicide. And then when JD shows right, up. Right, 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 right. Because he does show up with like a I gun suppose or the sequence is her, yeah. her death first. And then she's like, all right, now that he knows that he's killed me, I can save the yeah. green Heather. Okay, yeah, yeah. Because he's like, I didn't think you'd actually do it. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a little upset. I mean, I came here to kill you, but that's right. That's right. That's he's like really doing Jack in this. Scene. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's right. But oh, and she knows that the Green Heather's the next target because he picks up her copy of Moby Dick. Yeah, he picks up her copy of Moby Dick, and then he starts, um, he starts explaining his plan to her dead, her quote unquote dead body. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and being like, yeah, you know, I'm gonna blow up the school tomorrow. Got all this TNT from my dad. Because as we said, it's like his dad is a demolitions man. Demolitions man. He knows how to like set buildings ablaze by using a bomb at the base with like heat signature things Mm. at the top, and that just all crumbles down. Yeah, yeah. Um, And the screwed up story that his mom committed suicide via his dad's demolition. Yeah, Yeah. and that the last thing he saw was his mom waving to him as the building collapsed. Mm -hmm. This is dark. Yeah, that is dark. Really dark. And he's just deeply depressed and also wants to be dead. Yeah, because um, he doesn't feel loved. And so he goes back to this. He leaves and goes to the school. Heather's mom, or Veronica's mom, opens the door. And I really like this scene because the mom sees Veronica hanging there and immediately just like all the facade drops. And the only thing she can process is like just an apology for the last thing she told Heather. Yeah. Um, or that she had said to Veronica that might have upset her. Yeah, which is ignoring the biggest issue. She yeah. she thinks, oh, Veronica committed suicide because I wouldn't let her have the job at the mall. Right. It's like, bitch, right. no. She's not even seeing <laughs> yeah. like any of the other possibilities yeah. that matter, actually. Um, but then she, Veronica like wakes up and she's like, oh hi, and then she opens up her jacket and you see it's like tied around her waist yeah. essentially. Mm-hmm. So she lets herself down and it's. I think she just has to run to the school. Yeah, she's like, mom, are we having spaghetti? <laughs> yeah. Because the next morning she goes back to the school. Yeah. And uh, sometime around this point, I do want to point out that her parents call her Little Miss Voice of a Generation. Yeah. And it is funny because Winona kind of does become the voice of the generation. Yeah. Um, after all this. Uh, but then she goes to school and they're, everybody's leaving class to go to, to the gym. And yeah. she's like, wait, what's going on with the uh, pep rally? It's like, it's like, oh, well, they're doing a whole thing for, you know, the suicides that have been happening. And it's like, so nobody's going to be in the classroom. They're all going to be in the gym. And it's like, wait a minute, what's under the gym? And he looks at her like, the boiler room. Like the delivery of that is so like keen. And he's like, the boiler room. (laughs) (laughs) And so she's like, oh shit. Well, didn't his dad admit to having a Russian in the boiler room that he planted before he demolished a building. Like he, I think he straight up admits killing a guy. Mm. Am I crazy? His dad. Oh JD's yeah. Dad. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I remember. Said, it was, I it was had a, a very, Russian in the boiler room. Sh- it was a very throwaway line. Yeah. Of yeah. Like, well, his dad some, is unhinged. Right. Yeah. Very hint, unhinged. So 
she runs downstairs into the boiler room where she sees. And she has his gun. And she has his gun. I don't remember how she acquired yeah, his I gun. Yeah, I don't remember how she got that either. But she runs down with his gun um, and tries to stop him. He manages to overpower her and make it into the boiler room. Yeah. But she gets back up and goes after him again. And we get like a little cat and mouse game yeah. in the boiler room between the two of them, uh, where which does end with her successfully shooting him. Yeah. And the bomb gets disabled because he stabs a knife into it by accident. It, was it by accident? Because she was looking at like the buttons and she's like, which yeah. button to press? It's like, society doesn't care about <laughs> us. Blah, 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 blah. It's like, which button is it? <laughs> yeah. Is it the middle button? It's like, it's the middle button. And then he stabs it. Yeah. But so I didn't, I couldn't tell if that was him. Doing I think it he tried to, I can't, I couldn't try to set it off. It was hard mm, to tell. Cause she leaves him there and goes and walks outside. Yeah. Um, and then he follows her out like very shuffling. He's bleeding out, yeah. bleeding out Scoob, bleeding out Scoob. <laughs> um, and he has the bomb strapped to his chest. Yeah. And he's kind of backs up and steps into the street and he says to her, pretend I did blow up the school. Yeah. Um, kind of like he he wants to be remembered for his acts. Yeah, because he has nothing else to live for. Mm-hmm. Um, and her only response is she puts a cigarette in her mouth, and then as he blows up and commits suicide, the explosion lights her cigarette. Yeah, and this is uh Winona's favorite image of herself in a movie. Yeah, uh, to this day she said this is my favorite shot of myself in a movie is the bomb lighting the cigarette just standing on the steps. I yeah. I struggle to say i love it but i love it because mm-hmm. originally she like purposefully burned her hand with the cigarette lighter from yeah. the car to the two football players and jd lights his cigarette on it yeah he's using her pain he's using her and ultimately she takes it back yeah right mm-hmm. that's i mean great. that's a good read i didn't even think oh i i kind of thought that was like very mm. pointed yeah like very intentional then now she's taking she's taking the pain back from him yeah yeah um good and shit. And she now, you know, the bomb explodes. She like is fully like has ash all over her face. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the, everyone's running out of the school, and she's walking inside. People are like, "You look like shit." And she's like, "Yep." She kisses New one of the other feathers, in town. rips their um hair um ribbon. R- ribbon off, puts it on, and is basically declaring herself that like after all this, I am gonna run this school now with kindness. Yeah, because uh, that is the only path forward is just to understand and talk to each other. Yeah, she's gonna decrown the Heather. Yeah, you know. And she goes. First thing she does is she walks up to Martha and asks her, "Hey, my date to the prom flaked. Um, Do you want to watch some movies?" And Martha pops some popcorn. Yeah, pop some popcorn. That was good. Mm -hmm. And she said, and she asked Martha, "Do you want to pop some popcorn and watch a movie?" And Martha says, "Her first line of the movie, I'd like that." Um, because you know, Winona's realized that you just have to talk to people. Mm-hmm. And that's how, you know, you can make things better. It's Yay. just by having a conversation. <laughs> a little uh, simplistic. We'll maybe not yeah. give the movie that. But and that movie protected the country from ever having a school yeah. shooting ever again. Yeah. <laughs> well, the thing is, so that's the end of the movie. The thing is, that's not the scripted end of the movie. Correct. Ooh, In the tell. script, JD succeeds. Yeah, the school is blown up. Blows up. And the, the end of the movie is them all in heaven at a prom. Um, no. At a prom in heaven. Um, I don't, I don't quite know specifically what it entails, but that is how the movie ended originally. Yeah. Um, and the new line or whatever studio funded this, uh, new world pictures 
refused to film the movie unless the ending was changed. Yeah. Um, it was put into this more optimistic ending, yeah. which I think makes the movie better. Oh, I it, agree. It ties everything with a Heather bow. And that's why I think Can like, I yeah, um, that it's kind of an accidental masterpiece. Like all these things just kind of shuffled together in the way that movies sometimes do. Yeah. Because I like the idea that the ending is just like, if we have conversations, yeah, that's the first step to any of this. It's just listening to what this person has to say. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it's it, for all of its, you know, dark humor and kind of um, tough stuff. The movie is at the end of the day, an optimistic tale. Yeah. I do. However, if someone were to come up to me and say that Heather's is a completely tone deaf satire, I would also agree with them. Mm-hmm. The thing is, is like I, it's a much bigger conversation. Just goes to show how nuanced the topic is, but how nuanced the, the film mm-hmm. is. But if someone really has trouble watching this movie, I will never tell them that you know they just didn't understand yeah. or the message is there. You just gotta you know. I would never say that about Heather's. I think the topic it goes to show that this movie could not be made today mm-hmm. because the tonality of it is just wrong. I might go People as, as far really as to say mad wrong. About this movie, yeah. If it came out today, yeah, it would be very rough. Yeah. Um, and that's why I'm kind of glad that it came out when it did. It, it's, I'm glad we have this movie that's willing to kind of have this conversation yeah. in the way that it does. Um, people in the eighties weren't as thrilled though, because this movie comes out no. big flop <laughs> movie makes parents refuse to take their kids to go see this movie. Well, it is rated R, right? It is rated R. Yes. Yeah. But, um, it makes $1.1 million on a $3 million budget, Oof, which Ooh. is very, very small. Um, but it quickly does find its um, fan base. Say it's cult following. Yeah, I was going to say, cult classic to end all cult classics, in my opinion. It's a hugely successful cult classic. Um, DVDs and Blu-rays, extremely, um, they sell very well. Um, and it starts developing a reputation within like year, like just mere years of it coming out. Yeah, yeah. Um, Winona always talks about it as one of her favorite roles, mm-hmm. if not her favorite. Um. And just oh, every year that it comes out, this movie takes on new poignancy um, mm-hmm. and develops more fans. Yeah, Critics um, were overwhelmingly pretty positive on this movie. Well, nowadays they are. <laughs> um, at the time, there were a lot of critics who were like, this is so tone deaf, I can't believe this. Um, this is an evil movie. Um, Roger Ebert was just like, I don't get it, but I think teenagers will really find something in this. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. He's like, I don't understand this movie, but it's for the teenagers, and I'm going to give it a positive review because I think that they'll really understand what this movie is trying to say to them. Yeah. And maybe that is the point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe the adults who actually put this movie together knew that. You know? Yeah. yeah they... That it wasn't supposed to be a dare message or a Grim Reaper day in the middle of Wisconsin. Like, it's something, it's so different. Right. So much different it's than that. It's a movie made for the teens. And through the teen, oh, well, I can't really say for the from the teen voice, yeah. but kinda. Yeah, because Stuart, how much, uh, how much do you think your pep rally, traumatic pep rally, actually prevented students from dr- oh, drunk driving? All. Yeah, not at all. We had severe instances in near yeah. death experiences in the oh, immediate yeah. year, in years, two years preceding my grim reaper day there's always like you know a couple duis at huntington north high school every prom mm-hmm. like yeah. I'm, I'm sure of it and or i the know- drunkest state in the nation are you telling me that these kids are not going to drunk drive yeah exactly so it's like you know these whole messages catered by adults that think that will ring true to the kids 
Like it's the joke. It's that's been the joke. It's been like the dare conferences or the the pep rally lectures. It's like it's been it's all those things where it's like you're forced to go to this thing and you all roll your eyes as the adults think they know what they're actually yeah. talking about. The punchline is the parents. The punchline's the parents, the adults, the teachers. Mm-hmm. It's all it is. And this is the only movie where it's like the movie points out that they are the punchline to yeah. it. Yeah. Um, she couldn't even physically get the child lock cap off the prescription pills and the yeah. parents are still going to blame the kids. Because we talk about like, you know, very common phrasing is like white savior movie. This movie is not an adult savior movie. Ah. It's, a, it's a just, it's a, it's a teen conflict handled by teens. Mm-hmm. A very powerful movie. And nowadays it's very well respected. Has yeah. 93% on Rotten Tomatoes oh. for retrospective reviews. Yeah. Yes. Um, a lot of academics talk about this movie. They cite it as like one of the preeminent, preeminent pieces of the culture war narrative in the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. As society was shifting. Um, this is also one of the most cited movies in the Oxford English Dictionary. What? Because it... Um, Daniel Waters didn't want it to use slang from the time period the movie came out. So it instead is just like kind of this uh, timeless sense of slang that pulls from a lot of different periods. So all the characters talk very weird. Yeah. Um, and so it's cited in the English dictionary for a lot of slang terms. Wow. I mean, I'm going to use the term mega bitch uh, in my everyday lexicon at this point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I actually was consistently writing quotes down through this movie. Like Jeff like a just a pure banger would come across somebody's dialogue and Jeff and I both would look at each other pull out our phones to write it down for the podcast yeah. like I have at least 20 quotes here it's like are we going to prom or hell <laughs> was Winona's writing in her diary and she's finally come to terms with what, everything that's going on you know yeah. or they say Martha you know who cares if Martha tried to kill herself she's had suicide hotlines in her diapers my god awful line yeah so that is just that just really i wrote that down because of just how awful it is you yeah. know but it's, it's pointed true. it's pointed it's pointed it's true um and it's a shame that daniel waters not really working much anymore i want to see his other movies because if it's just batman returns and heathers i want to see what other unhinged shit he has pulled out right yeah i know you got yeah. the razzie but and so the this movie does um have it doesn't get a, ever get a sequel um, but they did make a musical based off this movie, and they made it. And they made it. a TV show that came out in 2016. That's right. Oh. The musical, um, I remember being well received. Well received, yeah. The musical got really good reviews. It aired for a few years. Um, I'm trying to see if it got nominated for any Tonys. I don't think it did. It did not get nominated for any Tonys. Oh wow! Wow. Uh, but it also has a high school version. <laughs> That you can like rent for your high school. To... I don't know how you can do that. I'm not quite sure how that works. What's the kids' bop version of Heather's? <laughs> Tell me. <laughs> um, the television show comes out and gets canceled extremely quickly. Um, they actually had to push the um, the premiere of the show because there was an actual school shooting the day that they were going to put it out. Wow. And then it got r- panned by critics who called it very Trump-esque. Oh. Um, huh. Plot twist. I think it's very much like and like anti-social justice warrior about snowflakes. Um, that seems to be the vibe that I was getting from it. Um, yeah. That essentially that like liberal and progressive ideology is what's alienating kids in high schools, which is a very wild read on this movie. Yeah. Um, I will never watch the TV show, but I did. It was worth talking about. 
Um, and that's basically the post text of the movie itself. Um, in regards to Winona, it doesn't really do anything for her public image besides, as she describes it, her first like adult role. Mm-hmm. So to her as an actress, it's very effective and powerful. Yeah. It gives her with a lot. It fills her with a lot of confidence to go to more auditions and take on roles that aren't just like being the kid, yeah, or the love interest. Yeah, she feels kind of she feels empowered by this role, mm-hmm. which I think is very important. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to see if I have anything else written down. Uh, Britain loved this movie. It got really rave reviews in the UK. Um, that's a that's <laughs> just a random when it was first released. Yeah, when it was oh. first released. I don't know why the British were really into it. They just like laughing at America. British humor is different from American humor. Very different. Very different. But that's all I have for Heather's. Do you guys have any final thoughts? I feel like we've kind of said everything we could say about it. Yeah. This is definitively my favorite Winona, but I will be watching more with you, Jeff, as you keep That's a little disrespectful to Homefront. (laughs) (laughs) I find Beetlejuice to be tired after a while. I still love it. Still love it. And Edward his scissors hands is just like just long enough for me to like really lose interest. Heather's locked in yeah. the entire time. There's the I'm James Franco excited to watch Homefront. Oh boy, Jason Statham versus James Franco, every the, the, the duo you've been lo- waiting for. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess that'll be later. Yeah. Stuart, any final thoughts? Uh, nope. I think I got about everything I needed to say. Well, then I will say thank you to everyone for listening to this episode on Heathers. Um, next week, we'll be taking a brief break from Winona and doing our annual Christmas spectacular for you folks. Um, that's right. A very travolting Christmas three will be coming out next Wednesday. We hope you enjoy. Um, it has a much sweatier subtitle that we will not be saying now because we want you to experience it live on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or YouTube next week, where you should also like, review, and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. As a reminder, um, you can follow us at Travolting Pod on Twitter, Instagram, or Threads, or Blue Sky. Find me on Twitter, at Jeff W. Sweeney. Anything you guys want to plug? Uh, I'm on Instagram. You know where it is. Yeah, you know me too. Uh, special thanks, as always, to Rebecca Sweeney for our graphic design, um, live in studio right now, and Michael Van Bodegum smith for the incredible theme music that's now taking you out. Have a great week, folks. See you next week for a very drolting Christmas. Ho, ho, ho! Uh-huh.